All right, you guys are now live. Thank you. Good evening and welcome to the October 10th, 2022 planning board meeting. Um, let's call the meeting um, to start. And I would like to ask um, board member T to lead us in flag salute, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Um, Alan, would you mind calling the roll call, please? Sure, I can do that. Um, board member Ariza? Aye, present. Cisneros? Here. Uh, board member Curtis has an excused absence. Uh, board member Hom? Here. Sahaba? Present. Board member Teague? Present. And President Ruiz? Here. And we have a quorum. Thank you. Um, any agenda changes and discussion? Uh, yes, there is a, a change from staff. Um, just looking at the length of tonight's agenda and um, item 70, staff actually did not prepare a presentation. This is really more of an announcement that the um, draft active transportation plan is out for review and comment. And so mm -hmm. staff is actually circling around um, various boards and commissions soliciting comments. So. Um, we were hoping that um, President Ruiz, you could ask and see if there's any but member of the audience who is here tonight to address the item and to let them speak. And then otherwise, um, we could probably just make this and consider this the announcement that the uh, active uh, Alameda transportation plan is available for review and comment. So my understand, thank you, um, Alan. My understanding is that um, the active trans transportation plan is not under planning board's purview, correct? Uh, technically, yes. We're, we're, it is, we're it kind is of under. shopping around boards and commissions for comments. This will uh, eventually go before the uh, Transportation Commission next month and then on to council um, early December. So should we move that from 7D to 7A right at the beginning and then ask for comments during that time? Uh, sure, if, if that's if the board uh, so choose so. So choose. <clears throat> Okay, so why don't we do that, do a switch, moving 7D all the way to 7A, because there's really not, this is really not a forum, um, forum for public comments during this portion of the meeting. So that's, let's do that, we'll do 7D first and solicit public comments, if any, during that time, okay? Um, so thank you for that suggestion. Um, do we need to, roll call the vote for this change or? Uh, yes, for, for, for the Zoom meeting, it would be, it would be okay. okay. So do we have a motion to move 7D to the first so item? Moved. Second. Um, Brian, would you mind roll call the vote, please? Sure, board member Ariza? Aye. Board member Teague? Aye. Board member Hom? Aye. Board member Cisneros? Aye. Uh, board member Saheba? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. That carries 6 0. Thank you. Um, any other agenda changes or discussions? Uh, no other changes from staff. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing none, let's move on to um, item number five oral communications. 
anyone may address the board on topic on a topic not on the agenda under this item by submitting a speaker's information slip subject to the three minute time limit. Do we have any um, speaker requests? Currently, we have 30 video participants and then no one is raising their hand at this time. Okay, thank you, Artie. Um, we'll go ahead and close that and moving on to consent calendar. There's nothing on the consent calendar. Moving on to item 7D, our um, first agenda item. Do we have any, um, given that there's no um, staff presentation, and um, do we have any board questions during this time? Otherwise, I suggest that we open to public comments. And I recommend, given that this is a workshop, that um, board members submit their individual comments to um, staff directly. OK, this time I would like seeing that I'm not seeing any hands for board questions. I'm going to open public comments. Do we have any public comments? Yes, it looks like we have two people raising their hand. The first person will be Marnie Roosevelt. Marnie, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for letting us um, make some comments. I'm a resident, I'm here with my husband, Ford Roosevelt, and we're residents at 2841 Fifth Avenue in the Pulte Homes. We closed escrow on September 8th. And um, last I'm week- Sorry, Marnie, sorry to interrupt. We're talking about item number 7D, public workshop to review comments on the draft Alameda Active Transportation Plan. Oh. Thank you, so sorry. I'm on 7C that okay. I wanna talk about, so I'll wait. Okay, anybody um, that has their hands raised, are you here to provide, com provide comments on the draft? Alameda Active Transportation Plan. Uh, it still looks like three people are raising their hand. I guess the next uh, person would be Jill Benson. Sure. Jill, please unmute your phone or your speaker. Jill, Jill, I um, please reconnect. Let's move on to the next. Happy. Um, actually, there's a second Jill Benson account, so maybe this is the one that'll work. Sure, let's do that. Uh, I'm so sorry for that. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. I apologize. Yeah, I had my hand raised for 7C okay. as well. So, um, okay, thank you. Then we'll um, please raise your hands during that time. How about, um, let's move on to Cindy Johansson, or Johnson, sorry. Good evening, planning board members and staff. I'm really excited to see the active transportation plan. 
One area I think it could be improved though is the section around performance measures. Each goal has performance measures, but no actual numbers or target dates associated with them. Ideally, we'd see something discrete like X number of Y by Z for each performance measure. So for example, instead of number of schools participating in safe routes to schools activities, it'd be 15 schools participating in safe routes to schools activities by 2030. When our city won silver status last year as a bicycle friendly community, our report card specifically recommended that we get specific and data driven like this in our ATP. And I hope we can follow that advice. I wanted to call out the mode shift goal specifically. I know that our transportation choices plan addresses it, but the approach there was a little complicated and it didn't break out active transportation as a mode. It's also now almost five years old and commute patterns have changed a bit since the pandemic with more people working from home. The exclusive focus on commute might make, not make as much sense either as we try to reduce vehicle miles traveled and many trips are not work related. All this to say that it might be good, a good opportunity to revisit or at least refine our thinking of that goal in particular. Minneapolis's 2020 ATP has a mode shift goal of increasing biking and walking to 35% by 2030. It would be great for us to have something comparable, but perhaps taking into account we're not quite as advanced as Minneapolis in terms of safe infrastructure. Something like 20% of trips by walking and biking by 2030 might be a good goal for us. A simple visual too, where each mode has a current and target value would be a great addition here. In the event that some of these things are hard to measure, perhaps there should be a program included to address that issue to make what's not currently measurable, measurable. This may entail some work, but it seems important. So I'm hoping that by surfacing it early in the process, it gets some attention. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you for your comment. Any, um, any other speaker? No one else was raising their hand at this time. Thank you. Given that there's no um, action items, on this item, I will now close um, item 7D. Can I, President yeah. Ruiz, if I could just add, I know I have um, the project staff is asking if we could just um, announce for the public's benefit that the deadline for comments is October 23rd, and you can access the plan and make comments at www.activealameda.org. Thank you, Brian. Um, do we have somebody else raise their hand? Oh. And, Thank that you so is the negative. Okay, thank you. And that closes um, this agenda item. Moving on to item number 7A, um, the staff of the presentation. Uh, yes. Uh, good evening, President Ruiz and members of the planning board. My name is Alan Tai, city planner. Um, the project planner for this project, Deirdre McCartney, cannot join us tonight. So um, I will be giving the staff report. And if I may have permission to share my screen. and is allowed. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, so um, what's before you tonight is a design review application for uh, a DISH uh, wireless proposal to uh, install a wireless communications facility on the rooftop of an apartment building at 916 Union Street. Um, the proposed antenna installation would be enclosed in a approximately eight foot by eight foot enclosure that's 13 feet tall on the rooftop of this four story apartment building. And I know the planning board um, in the past years have expressed some interest in uh, learning more about this topic. And we, this is not a topic that uh, this planning board has had a hearing on um, in a couple of years now. So what I will do is um, 
walk you through some of the regulatory background before diving into the details of this project. So first of all, it's important to understand that the uh, wireless industry operates under the exclusive jurisdiction of the Federal uh, Communications Commission. Um, that was established by a law passed by Congress in 1996 called the Telecommunications Act. Um, and since then, um, as the uh, use of cellular devices, um, cell phones, and even cars nowadays are connected to the internet. Um, the federal government has passed even more laws, um, and the FCC have issued even more rulings that um, limit the ability for local agencies to um, regulate wireless deployments. What it comes down to uh, mainly is um, federal regulations um, preempt um, cities from considering uh, the impacts to human health effects from the installation of wireless facilities. Um, it also would preclude um, local cities from imposing any requirement that has the end result of uh, limiting uh, a wireless service provider to provide service, to uh, fill in a coverage gap, or basically to compete in the wireless industry. And this is something that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, tonight. Um, as, as I progress my presentation. Um, what cities can do is we may regulate the design of the wireless facility, we may regulate aesthetics. And so therefore tonight the application before you is design review. Um, we can also establish preferred locations, although um, in the context of the application tonight, I think we are severely hindered in our ability to do that. Um, primarily because DISH in this case is a brand new um, service provider who, is, who currently does not have service in the city. And I'll explain that in a little bit more detail. Um, the federal regulations also create what's called a shot clock, um, basically ensure that cities don't sit on these applications. We don't impose uh, any unnecessary delays in the processing of the application. And in this case, this is a new facility and the most recent FCC ruling is that we do have 90 days to review and decide on the application. And that deadline comes out to um, November 15th of this year. So the planning board, you do have the ability via design review to decide on, on really three things. Number one, the type of placement, whether this is a roof mounted installation or wall mounted. A wall mounted um, example would be where the uh, antennas are simply just mounted on the facade of the, of the buildings. Um, and you can also dictate the appearance of the installation. For example, the colors of the, uh, in this case, the, the wireless antennas are being proposed to be concealed in an enclosure. So you may dictate the colors and materials and sort of the architectural design of, of, the, of the self structure. Um, and then also looking into whether the conditions of approval are consistent with the um, safety report and the, the recommendations of the um, engineer. And one of the things that, um, that's very key is um, city regulations and city decisions cannot factor in the, if the health effects of uh, radio frequency emissions from the antennas. Um, and you can't include that or base that in your decision making. Um, and then also you're not allowed to uh, impose requirements that have an effect of inhibiting service or um, reducing their ability to provide wireless services. So that's, that's very important to keep in mind. So what I wanna do is just show you some examples of um, previous approvals in the city of Alameda. Um, starting to the left, I believe that's the, Christ, the 
Episcopal Church at uh, Grand and Santa Clara. Um, I think that this one is done very tastefully in the cupola, um, but within it are uh, wireless antennas. Um, this photo in the center, I believe, is an apartment building on Central Avenue. It's also a wireless in, uh, installation, partially enclosed in the penthouse, but you also see some of the um, wall-mounted installations that are aesthetically not so pleasing, but um, that was done a long time ago. And over to the right um, are a couple more um, rooftop installations, penthouses, um, that are designed to conceal wireless installations. Here are some more examples. Um, the one to the left is pretty iconic. You see that on Park Street in Santa Clara, simple. Um, there's no stealth structure, just basically roof-mounted antennas. Um, over to the right, a more tasteful example where, uh, where the antennas are, are concealed behind the, um, um, the, the, the religious um, signage. Um, here are two examples um, of a case that last went to the city council in 2015, where the council approved uh, two uh, lar much larger penthouses. Um, I believe these are over 120 square feet in size. So, but a lot of these are also in residential neighborhoods. Um, the project that's before you tonight, as I uh, mentioned, is a single eight by eight by 13 feet high a rooftop enclosure. Um, the proposed enclosure matches the uh, height of an existing elevator penthouse um, that reaches a height of 51 feet at its peak. Um, so this drawing shows a plan view of the enclosure above the roof. And so as you can see, the, the dark shaded structure is what is being proposed. Originally, the application came in as three separate enclosures, um, but after reaching out to the neighborhood and um, Yiddish also held a neighborhood meeting in September, um, they've revised the project to consolidate the three uh, penthouses into one. So um, you can see that that matches the existing um, elevator penthouse in height. Um, the exterior materials would be stucco to match existing building finish. Um, and then the roof would also be a tiled roof. And so to, to get a better um, visual for, for how the public might see this addition, we have asked Dish Network to um, install story poles. And, and what, the, what, it, what story poles are basically a mock-up of the um, uh, outer dimensions of, of the structure. And so this is a uh, bird's eye view of the apartment building that shows the elevator penthouse towards the center of the roof. And what's being proposed is the smaller uh, enclosure also on the roof. Um, and it's set back at least 10 feet from the edges of the roof. These other arrows will show the vantage points where staff took photographs of the um, story poles. So this is standing in front of the apartment building. Um, I would like to note that there are a lot of large mature trees or also taller buildings. Um, the enclosure is, I believe, at least 80 feet from the front facade. So from the front, um, you're not able to see the structure at all. Scooting over to San Jose Avenue, one of the side streets, um, you could see a little bit of the existing uh, elevator penthouse, which is 13 feet above the, the um, roof surface. And then the arrow here points to um, partially, you could see a little bit of the story pole mock-up. So really from San Jose at this angle, you're not able to see the structure too much. Um, shifting around, 
just on another location on San Jose Avenue, you do see a little bit more of the elevator penthouse, um, but this tree is sort of hiding the um, story poles. But when completed, um, the appearance of the enclosure will, will carry the same appearance, stucco exterior painted to match existing walls with a tile roof. Now on the opposite side on Clinton Avenue, um, at this angle between the two large trees, you do see the story poles and the mock-up of its height. Um, we didn't get a, uh, another photograph. Um, so this is, this is a screen grab from um, Google Street View, but you do see that even shifting over to uh, the left or the right, there are other mature trees, taller buildings, and taller buildings on this side that would screen the structure from public view. Um, in, a couple of years ago, the planning board adopted um, wireless communication facilities design guidelines. This was required by uh, federal rules and that um, we had to have this posted on the city website, which we have done. Um, it does really two things. Um, it uh, The guidelines first establish a location preference, starting with the most preferred locations outside of residential areas, um, preferably uh, co-location, meaning adding on to. Uh, existing cell towers, existing facilities and sites. And if that's not possible, then we prefer uh, carriers work with the city of Alameda to locate the facilities um, on property owned by the city. Um, that way, as a landlord, we actually have greater control over the installation um, and the terms. Um, and if the first two options are not available, then we encourage locating in non-residential areas. And then the least preferred alternative would be residential areas, which is which is really um, the, the, the project site of this application tonight. Um, and, and on that note, I, I do wanna say that um, in, I believe 2020, FCC approved the merger of, uh, so there were four major uh, carriers, wireless carriers in the United States. Um, and when FCC approved the merger between Sprint and T-Mobile, it uh, had designated DISH Wireless as sort of the, the next service provider to step up as being the fourth carrier. So there's support from the FCC for its deployment. And also being a brand new carrier, um, it does, DISH does not have service in Alameda. So um, while DISH provided uh, an alternative sites analysis, um, looking at this list, the location preferences we've, we've cited, it's difficult for the city of Alameda to say, no, you would have to go to a different location because currently all three other service providers have service within the neighborhood. So I, I think that's something important to point out. And also the reason why staff did not further scrutinize the um, alternate sites analysis, because um, doing so could be construed as interfering with um, their, their intent to deploy in Alameda. Um, the wireless site guidelines that the planning board adopted also uh, apply certain standards to what you would do when you uh, mount antennas to a building. Uh, number one, it would have to be architecturally integrated um, to the building. And in this case, the, uh, the project is designed as a almost like a cupola, a penthouse um, that matches the existing elevator tower. Uh, it's using architectural features that are native to the style of the building, the stucco exterior, the tile roof. It is avoiding the um, primary facade. It is actually 80, about 80 feet away from the front facade. 
Um, any equipment uh, will be painted to match the adjacent building surfaces. That also is a condition of approval. And then all of the equipment, as I mentioned earlier, is um, approximately 10 feet away from the edge of the building. So it meets all of the design guidelines adopted by the planning board. So really your decision tonight is limited to the design review findings that I've put on the screen and the planning board have had a lot of experience with um, on projects. Um, so these are really the three findings that you will use um, in your decision tonight. And um, these findings have been made in the um, draft resolution. So the staff recommendation here really is for you to hold the public hearing, hear the neighbor comments, and then uh, approve the design review with the conditions in the draft resolution. So with that, I am available for questions. Thank you, Alan. Um, now I'm gonna open up for board questions um, for member Teague. Thank you, Alan. Um, when the, we talk about co-locating, is that co-locating in their own facility? Uh, it doesn't have to be their own facility. It are there be any, any, are there any facilities in that area? So I believe the nearest facility um, was that has uh, wireless antennas would, would be the uh, Alameda Hospital. And okay, um, so it's our understanding that the hospital away. is starting to um, uh, discontinue their, their leases with existing tenants, wireless okay. tenants. Yeah. What about what's the nearest city of Alameda property to the circle? Um, the nearest property could be like the Mastic Center where there are other, uh, okay. where there, there's already a cell facility there. Yeah, okay. again, it's, it's uh, the, um, we have Derek Turner um, from Qualtech who's representing um, DISH uh, Network and they could probably speak more to how they've selected the site. But again, as uh, DISH is a brand new carrier in town, they don't have any coverage. Um, we we did not scrutinize too much of the details and, and then, of how they selected the uh, site. This is a question for uh, Lynn. There was a comment raised that the power level of these particular antennas was larger than some threshold in law that would make it a different type of situation or shot clock. Is that true? And if so, what does that mean? Um, well, you know, Alan can speak better to um, the, 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 the factual situation there, but what I can tell you is um, the, the, to the extent that there needs to be uh, any sort of environmental or, or health analysis of the potential effects of the emissions or energy level, um, that uh, needs to be done according to the uh, pursuant to the FCC's uh, requirements uh, for those particular topics. Um, so that's really kind of a separate process. The city doesn't have any jurisdiction over those issues. Um, and uh, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I believe we have a condition of approval that, you know, uh, presumes that the applicant will work with FCC, with the FCC to satisfy those conditions. Um, and then if they don't, then they would be in violation of the condition of approval. But beyond that, we, we really, the city really has no jurisdiction over those particular issues. Okay. Yeah, that, if we requested design aesthetic changes, how does that affect the shot clock? 
Um, you, so you have until November 15th to approve this project. Um, so it, it, uh, it depends on what, what changes the board would be asking for. I mean, if, okay. if you're asking for changes that would require DISH to go back and redo the design, then um, uh, this is not a this is not a uh, application completion issue. So it, the the clock will continue ticking, and come the 90th day, um, you know, DISH could could raise an issue about the shot clock. Okay, so I mean, then, but I would say that Dish for uh, yeah. so far has been very cooperative with the city. But I would say that we do not have any sort of tolling agreement to pause the clock at this time. Okay, in the project documents, there's specific barriers that are called out, uh, and a nebulous comment regarding the roof providing protection for the apartments below. Uh, how, where are those barriers and in what way are they being located? I don't see them in the plans. So we call it out, but barriers can be a variety of things from ropes to change to least it wanted painted lines. Uh, it's not called out on the plans and the dimensions that are listed in the project are fairly large, like 18 feet. So, um, where are those barriers going to be located and where would I see that information? Uh, yeah, I can answer that first. So um, in the, so as part of the project, the uh, applicant has provided a radio frequency emissions report prepared by an engineer. Um, the FCC requirements are that one, you have to do a study uh, to see if the insulation would exceed FCC standards for health. Um, and if there are areas that are exceeding standards, you have to have a plan in place. Um, and if you are able to do all of the above, then you're in compliance with FCC standards. In this case, the report does identify that there are some areas, uh, particularly within 10 feet directly in front of the antennas, um, that, that would where somebody standing in front of the antenna and operating antenna would be um, exposed to um, RF emissions greater than FCC limit. And so in that case, the engineers have uh, recommended a safety plan and the safety plan requirements have been incorporated into the draft resolution as conditions of approval. Um, and then staff has also supplemented um, those conditions with some best practices that we have learned over the years, including um, locking the roof access so that you know, regular tenant or person just can't just um, uh, access the roof. Um, any employees that work on the roof, any personnel who work on the roof have to have, uh, I mean, there would be signage, warning signage, and then they also have to have. Um, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Training. To, sorry. To then, interrupt you, um, in, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Those are all clear. What okay. What isn't clear is the 15 foot by 13 foot by 11 foot by 11 foot barrier in front of section sector C antenna or an 18 foot by six foot barrier in front of section A and the nine foot barrier in front of section B. So those are pretty substantial barriers and I don't see them on the plan. So I'm trying to figure out and it's like 28 feet is the dimension that they've called out 
that is the occupational range. So within 28 feet, they need to have these barriers. Yes, so that's correct. I, yes. That's what I'm like, okay, these barriers could be at the edge of the building. They could be, yes. And um, sorry, I misunderstood your question earlier. So as a condition of approval, uh, we are requiring that the plans that they submit for a building permit show the location of that barrier, because you are right. Currently, um, the RF report has a diagram that highlights the location of that area, but doesn't show where what sort of barrier there is. So we are requiring that as a condition of approval. And we don't, we're not specifying what type of barrier. Are we specifying what type of barrier? We are not. I mean, it could be a chain. It could be, um, uh, we say, well, barriers may consist of rope chain or fencing as noted in the RF EME report. The report mentions stripe lines and we specifically did not put the striping in the condition of approval. So it would have to be either rope chain or fencing. We want a physical barrier so that people aren't unknowingly walking into the area. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I'm just concerned about the size of one of those, specifically the 18 foot one, which is taller than the cupola. <laughs> so I'm like, Okay, it will it will shade the cupola. Uh, I believe it's a two dimensional description. Eighteen. Let me see. Well, it has and to go up. Derek or Jeff, if, uh, you're able to if, answer. If this someone question from really Dish could explain it, that would be awesome. Yes. Yeah, Alan, uh, we have Kevin McManus on the line. If you want to go ahead and admit him, he can speak to all that information. Okay, Artie, He's can we promote Kevin McManus? Please, thank you. Stand by. Hi, Kevin, you there? Are you able to speak to the question for uh, Mr. Teague? Um, the, the barriers that we are envisioning here um, can take a couple of different forms. What we typically do is a non-penetrating, uh, what's called RF transparent barrier, which would include some type of uh, plastic chains with um, uh, either posts which are, would be installed um, to encompass the entire area where there may be an exceedance of the uh, FCC's most stringent limit, the general population limit. So in, in doing that, um, th there are a number of different techniques, but we have typically done uh, something which includes a series of posts uh, and signage on those posts that would indicate uh, do not enter this area. Uh, it would be called out as a, a caution sign, a yellow caution sign, uh, and it would encompass uh, the areas that you see in the uh, RF uh, compliance report as um, uh, potentially exceeding uh, the FCC's most stringent or general population limits. Um, we typically like to see a physical barrier as opposed to striping because um, of you know weather and other things, 
And I think a physical barrier, which might be uh, on the neighborhood of two or three feet high, uh, barrier post set up every eight feet or so, um, has typically worked out uh, effectively for us uh, in many other applications. Okay, so two to three feet high is the size of the posts. Correct, yeah. Okay, and so those other dimensions we're really talking about the outline around the, the shaded blue. Exactly, areas. yes, yeah. There, uh, and obviously it will be, um, there won't be any um, physical screen or you know um, structure there. It's simply going to be a, a barrier with um, uh, chains and signs and posts to demarcate the areas of concern. Okay, and when you get near the edge of a roof, do you usually stop before the edge of the roof? Is if you stopped like two feet before the edge of the roof and then carried on with a line to the edge of the roof, would that be uh, a viable barrier? It, it can be. Uh, we are governed at this point um, by a, a number of different factors, one of which is um, OSHA standards require that um, if you have an unprotected roof edge with a parapet, which is less than 39 inches high, uh, that we typically try to follow OSHA guidance that um, you would terminate that barrier uh, within six feet of the roof edge. But you could certainly carry, uh, as, I, as you mentioned, a um, uh, striping or other demarcation out to the edge of the roof if necessary. Um, I should right. note that uh, for this particular site, the uh, areas where that might be a concern in terms of the roof edge is only uh, a couple of feet uh, for sector B, which is facing uh, down towards the um, kind of uh, southeast, uh, projecting towards the southeast. The other two sectors uh, remain areas within the roof area, which uh, would not be affected by that, um, that OSHA standard. Got it. How is there a parapet on this building? There is, but it's uh, quite low. And I'm just actually, let me just look at the drawings to confirm that. Um, uh, looks like it's one feet, one foot. Yes, yeah. And uh, the standard that we go by is uh, 39 inches, which is um, kind of an industry standard set up by uh, OSHA because there was obviously concern about um, working too close to an unprotected roof edge with a, with a low uh, with a low parapet. Okay, thank you very much for that information. It's been very helpful. Do you typically run the chain along the edge of the roof or do you end at the roof? We will end it at the roof. Yeah, so we'll end it, you know, as I said, typically we'll have our last post uh, within six feet of the roof edge. Um, we could certainly look at whether we want to extend um, some type of other visual striping or signage on the roof itself beyond that, but in terms of a physical barrier, uh, it would terminate typically within six feet of the roof edge. Great, thank you so much. That's all of my questions. Mm -hmm. Thank you, um, board member Hum. Yeah, thank you. And thank you staff uh, for the presentation. My question is really kind of a little bit more general regarding since DISH is a new operator in Alameda, I'm trying to get understanding of, you know, how this location was selected and also are they proposing like a larger network of uh, 
these type of antennas to, to provide adequate coverage for the rest of the city, trying to understand like maybe how many of these units will they need to install to serve the city from a spacing standpoint and, and uh, you know, what, what population or geographical area this unit would serve. I'll defer that question to the applicant, Derek, Jeff, or Kevin. Can you respond to that? Yeah, and we have uh, the DISH RF engineer, uh, Farbaz, on. If you could um, go ahead and promote him, he can speak to the, the network uh, itself. F-O-R-I-B-O-R-Z. Uh, the only name that I have with F-O-R is Ford Roosevelt. I can address that question if you can hear me. Yes, yes we can hear you, Jeff. Me. Jeff is oh. representing Dish Network. I uh, thank you for the time. Uh, my name is Jeff Dether. I actually am the uh, representative for Dish Wireless. Um, as Alan pointed out, Dish is the you know fourth carrier after the merger of Sprint and T-Mobile, and we are building a brand new network for the ground up. We look at you know, the entire nation, but specifically here in Alameda, um, at the hierarchy that Alan had presented in terms of co-locating being the first preference. And we are co-locating on several sites uh, throughout the city. Our overlay, the number of sites that DISH will have, will roughly mirror what AT&T, Verizon, or um, T-Mobile uh, has. We will take a period of time to build that network up, but we would first elect to go with uh, co-locations and go with the hierarchy that's available. Um, that being said, we are trying to balance where we can get a lease from a landlord, where there's room on the roof, that's a co-location, um, whether or not any given site that we're looking at actually covers the objective that is left after we've found the other sites uh, that are available. We found a number of the other sites that were co-locations and they kind of stretch in an arc around the greater neighborhood here. And our first preference initially was, as Alan said, the hospital. However, the hospital is in the process of uh, allowing all of their existing leases with wireless carriers to terminate and they are not renewing. They're doing that intentionally. So everybody is looking for, uh, all the existing carriers are looking for new locations. Um, as it is where our uh, sites are currently planned, and several of them have been through planning. Some are in, are, uh, in the works, but not built yet. Um, this uh, location is about a two block circle dead center of the neighborhood that is, you know, would not be covered as yet. So we looked through the hierarchy of, is there a co-location? Is there a public building? Is there um, you know, a commercial building? Is there a city property? Um, and unfortunately, the answer was no to all those. So we were looking for a, you know, the highest and most buildable flat roof that was available uh, that we thought we could build something that was aesthetic. It was structurally sound um, and would serve the needs of this community along with everyone else. And uh, through several months of research and design, this is the uh, proposal that we've come up with. We did. Uh, have some back and forth with the community and with planning staff and changed our design um, in certain ways to make it uh, more appealable. And we hope that is, you know, what you see before you today. Okay. So this location 
Is it fair to say that this Singer location is somewhat unique in that most of your other locations are co-locations? I believe all of our other sites are co-locations. Oh, okay, okay. All right, thank you. Of course. Board member Cisneros. Yeah, uh, thank you. Just um, uh, a follow-up question related to the location component and then um, a second question. Uh, I'm just curious why the Alameda Hospital is allowing their leases to terminate is, I don't know, is, um, yeah, can you, can you, do you have any, I, I, can you I don't, um, I know that my, my vendor Derek has been in touch with them several times and I believe to the point that uh, he's annoying them, uh, hoping that they would change their mind or they just didn't want to talk to Dish at this time. Uh, mm -hmm. But I uh, have my contacts at Verizon and AT&T and they are also aware that they are getting their leases terminated when they expire and are not going to be able to renew. Uh, but the hospital did not share the specific reason for that. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, I'd be interested in understanding that. Uh, and it's just, it's interesting that a hospital had so many telecom leases and, um, you know, it's, it seems to imply that it, it is, a, it's safe to have um, this kind of device uh, in, in this type of um, place, in this, in this type of use, um, or there's patients recovering, et cetera. So, um, and that's just an interesting fact about that. And then the second question is, um, it sounds like uh, from the staff report that, um, you know, this tower uh, won't have the emissions emit to anyone's living place or, or bedroom. Um, so that seems clear. And also this is not in the city of Alameda's jurisdiction. Um, with that said, I'm curious, is there like a phone line or a way for residents to reach out to the FCC? Um, should they have like continued concerns or questions? I I don't know if the FCC has a hotline. Um, I've never uh, had a need to call them for that. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure there is a mechanism by which one could submit uh, questions or concerns to the FCC. Uh, mm -hmm. DISH and all of the carriers you know, are required to meet the federal standard in um, OET you know, Bolton 65. And they are very stringent rules. They're stringent to the point that, as you said, it was interesting, there's antennas on the hospital. I would guess that 75% of the hospitals in the greater Bay Area have cellular antennas on the roof, um, if you were to look. And I've placed several of them myself. Um, hospitals are filled with wireless devices, you know, making their systems work. They are technical enough to understand where the uh, safety factors are. So, um, you know, why this hospital is removing them at this point, if, I, I would like to know that myself. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I actually have some insight to that. Um, they were, um, there was a couple issues they had. Um, one was the carriers were defaulting on a lot of their power bills and causing some concern with the hospital and renewing the lease. Um, so there was that. And then also they had some uh, possible redevelopment plans of the roof. Uh, for future use. Uh, so those two combined, um, they started uh, not renewing uh, cell phone carriers leases. 
that's very helpful. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Those are all my questions. Thank you, Board Member T. Follow up questions. Yeah, I have a. Whether Jeff, Derek, or Kevin, is it technically feasible to put the antennas in a structure that mirrors the existing elevator penthouse? Meaning that the roof matches the the dimensions are a lot closer to that squat square structure. Um, we've developed it to match exactly that. Um, it's not the same size as the penthouse, but it mirrors it almost identically to color, texture, uh, no, no, roofing no, material. And size is what I'm talking about. So right now it's a tall, thin, with a short roof where the penthouse is more square with the roof coming down a lot more. We can, we tried to condense the design to, uh, you know, make it more practical. Um, the bigger the penthouse, the more weight, the more structural int uh, integrity is lost. Um, there's a lot of design issues in that regard. So the bigger it is, um, the more impact it has on the roof as well. So we try to keep it, you know, the smallest imprint possible. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a few questions as well. Um, one is specifically uh, um, regarding the shot clock. Uh, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, that the shot clock is we need to make a decision within 90 days. And, um, but the decision didn't say that we have to approve it. Am I misunderstanding this? And what happens if we deny the project? Uh, and, uh, well, I could take a shot at... Um, the, the staff's perspective. So the way we read the federal regulations, even though unlike co-locations where federal regulations say cities shall approve and may not deny, there isn't similar language um, for uh, new installations, but um, recent FCC rulings that have shortened the shot clock from, it used to be 150 days, but they've shortened it to 90, have basically also reinforced that um, you know, car carriers have the ability after the 90 days if the city doesn't take action to go through an expedited proceeding in court um, to, to compel cities to approve the project. I mean, and, and really the burden would be on the city to um, demonstrate why the project has not met our um, aesthetic requirements. And Len, it's, please feel free to supplement. This is a legal issue. Yeah, that's all correct, Alan. And actually, um, if the city were to fail to render a decision within the 90-day shot clock, then the application is deemed approved uh, by the operation of law. Um, and um, to answer your uh, related question, board member, um, the city need the, what the 90-day shot clock requires is the city to process and uh, either approve or disapprove the application um, within that period. Um, but if uh, if there were to be a disapproval, this the city would need to provide written substantial evidence as to as to the basis for that disapproval. Thank you. Um, and then, Alan, um, refresh my memory. Um, I understand that um, we have a wireless communication facilities design guideline and there's specific um, guidelines in there. Then why isn't this um, review in the ministerial level, in a staff level? Um, and, and why is it bringing it back? Is it because of a, this 
specific design review item or because it looks like from what I'm gathering that our ability to deny the project is strictly limited to design review and design compliance and nothing else. Yes, that, that's correct. And um, I would say that we currently don't have uh, anything codified in the zoning code that would exempt this project from design review. But um, typically when a project meets the uh, adopted wireless design guidelines, we would try to approve it at staff level. But mm -hmm. in this case, a staff level design review still requires public noticing. And, and that's when we um, generated a lot of public input and, and therefore um, it's coming before you is um, because because of the um, public interest. I mean, I think a lot of cities, uh, what, what they have done is adopted wireless um, ordinances that do have different tiers. And in the case where we see this sort of project where uh, the, the scope is small relatively to a brand new tower, for example, um, and that the design meets the adopted standards that there would be an exemption where it's just ministerial review and no public noticing. I mean, in this case, I do feel bad that, you know, the neighbors have spent a considerable amount of time providing comment. And at the end of the day, um, you know, just from a legal point of view, we, we, do, we do have very limited scope uh, of purview in, in, in our decision making here. So it, it uh, staff would agree. Um, on a direction to come back to the board with maybe an amendment or design review ordinance for, for some streamlining here, just to make sure that projects that meet our guidelines sail through and those that don't um, would, would get a chance for public hearing. Thank you. And um, again, a clarifying question. I understand that we cannot... Um, ask the carrier to relocate the antenna to impinge on their ability to, to provide coverage. If we ask the applicant to move the antenna closer to the middle of the building, would that consider impinging on, into their ability to provide coverage? I would say the board can certainly ask those questions and um, let, let the applicant respond. If they can do it, I think you know that would be great. Um, this is just a general question for um, the applicant. Have you considered a more central location on the roof that's a less visible um, from the street view? So from the street view, um, you actually can't see the site um, from the main uh, strip in front of the, of the building. Um, it's not visible to the, from the street. Um, it's only visible from the back side of the building, I believe. I think Alan had some pictures that represented mm -hmm. that. And it just very, very much just the tip of the, the site would be visible. So um, moving it to the middle of the building, we've, uh, we've ran all the simulations for that. And we've located this because we had three locations, uh, three cupolas on the roof originally. Um, we redesigned it to, to put it into one cupola. And the spot that we located is the ideal spot for um, coverage for all three sectors. Uh, moving it back uh, would cause what we call PIM in the industry, and it would uh, the coverage would, re would reflect off the edge of the building and uh, decrease capacity for coverage. So the spot that we located is is ideal for I, we believe aesthetics and coverage capacity. Thank you. Um 
looks like there's no further board questions. I'm going to now open up for public comments. And um, I just want to remind, remind everyone that as um, staff had mentioned earlier that the city's, the, this board's ability and to approve or de um, deny the projects based on design review only. And so please keep your comments to design review, understanding that um, we have limited, limited purview over this project. Uh, with that said, let's open up for public comments. All right, currently there are five speakers hold, raising their hand. The first speaker will be Devin Westerholm. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Hi, um, so I am one of those folks that lives right next to that building. Um, and we'll be able to see it very clearly according to the images that were just shown due to the direction that it faces. Um, so it's definitely visible for people that live there. Um, I, I Listening to this conversation, it's pretty frustrating that it's not clear um, that we have authority to do things. <laughs> and that seems a little bit bizarre to me. But in my mind, if we have design guidelines and they're going to the fifth and least uh, welcome option, which is residential only neighborhoods, then it feels like they should have to provide material that shows that that is in fact the only option because not very far from there, we have Alameda High School which is a huge building and people do not live there around the clock 24 seven. And it's got big roofs that could, um, could easily facilitate these structures. Um, that's just nearby. We also have, uh, we have the South Shore Shopping Center. So you're right smack in a residential neighborhood um, that will be able to see it from where we live. Um, so I, I'm just a little bit frustrated that everybody feels like their hands are tied. And I wonder if they really are, maybe this is just the wrong committee to be having this conversation in. Um, and, and I think that it would make sense that they had to prove that this is the only location that would give coverage and the Alameda High School, for example, would not be able to provide that same coverage. Th those are my comments, thank you. Thank you, next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Diane Clark. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Um, I also live in that building that was uh, not shown in all the photos that were taken. Um, it seems like everyone is very concerned with how the structure looks, but not about the health risks or anything else that comes with this item being placed uh, directly in our area. So all the other examples that you showed, uh, that item was not facing directly into anyone's window. And this one is. And so it's directly into my home office and my bedroom very clearly the other ones are up higher and they're not facing into anyone even the ones that were close to apartments it's not facing into anyone's apartment 
So I don't understand why everybody's so concerned with how it looks. And the real question here is what are the health risks that are, I know what you said, you know, everyone's saying, oh no, it's safe, it's this and that. But I find that hard to believe. So <clears throat> even with the, the structure being moved, because I, I can see it, it was closer, but you moved it back. It is still very close to um, our building and no one took pictures to show how closely it is facing our building. You only took pictures from the front. You conveniently skipped the side, which was covered by the trees. So it doesn't look like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's invasive of anything or anyone. So that was very convenient. But um, I sure hope you review this because uh, we have no say. So it's like three or four of us in this building and, um, you know, we're kind of like stuck with your decision to allow this to happen. So that's all I have to say. Um, thank you very much. Thank you for your feedback. Um, next speaker, please. The next speaker is Mary. Mary, please unmute yourself. Mary, please unmute yourself. Okay, looks like we're having some technical issues. Mary may um, raise her hand when she, that gets resolved. Um, let's move to the next speaker. The next speaker will be Matt Reed. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Planning Board, uh, for hearing this tonight. Uh, I wanted to raise a couple things to your attention uh, about some incomplete uh, items within the application that might be relevant. Uh, first off, in the RFEME report, um, the radio frequency report, if you look at the inventory of antennas, there's they describe the impact of three antennas. If you look at the drawing, the schematic of the cage itself, the cage is built to support six antennas. And we asked for this information back on September 19th at a community hearing. We asked the, the engineers to come back and reevaluate what it would be, what it would entail, whether that blue cone would grow if you had, if you doubled the number of antennas, and that has not yet been provided. That's the first thing I want to bring to your attention. The second thing, uh, in all of the schematic diagrams from taken from the bird's eye, uh, they've omitted a structure. Uh, there's a garage that's actually a home office. It's a fully permitted office uh, right behind a home, which is immediately adjacent to the property line uh, and within the 41 feet that, that they suggest actually separate the, the unit from the, 
the uh, the house next door, uh, one of the smaller houses. Uh, and I just wish that could have made it into the diagram. It feels like the diagram, the schematic is incomplete in terms of dwelling units and how close they are to the apartment building. The third thing is the discussion around the service cone. That's the thing on page two of the alternative site analysis. That's what we've been talking about in terms of how wide is the cone? Where does the thing have to be? And it should be brought to this board's attention that initially DirecTV submitted documentation that had a much wider cone. Uh, and this was a subsequent revised cone that was submitted and much smaller. Uh, and when we asked for information about that at the community hearing, uh, we specifically asked for, could you please provide a map of where you intend to put the seven to eight, they mentioned it would be seven to eight uh, in installations that would be required to provide service in Alameda. We have yet to see that map. Uh, so we don't know where the other installations are going to be. So we can't verify whether this cone in fact makes a lot of sense. Uh, and so those are some things that are missing. Uh, we, we ask you to maybe ask that information so that could be provided. Uh, and then one other thing that we asked for, the impact on the trees, uh, the redwood tree, uh, which is uh, in my property, which is blocking uh, the, the view, uh, which I think the applicants are suggesting helps conceal the, 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 uh, the unit, uh, in fact, will receive, uh, is in direct line of sight within about uh, 25 to 30 feet of the unit. And so there's some question about damage. And I don't ask this in terms of human health. Uh, what we'd specifically asked the DirecTV to provide was documentation analyzing the impact of uh, those units on trees. Uh, and that has not been provided to us. Uh, the redwood tree is a majestic symbol of California, and I'm hoping it ends up on the Alameda protected species list, but that's a different discussion. Uh, for now, we're pretty certain that this unit will destroy the tree. Uh, and so uh, with that, I thank you for your time. I ask you to take a hard look at this design, where they've placed it, the documentation they provided, and please ask for them to relocate to a different location. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Adrian Lackadat. Okay. Hello. You can hear me. Yes, but there's an echo. Um, could you close your computer? Just close your computer. Close it. Close it, please. Okay. Did that help? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, hello. Uh, I live at 900 Union Street, the former Garrett Mansion, which is next door to 916 Union. Um, my home is almost four stories tall. It, <laughs> that's the one that Diane was referring to which doesn't show up in any of the photos that the planning department took or that uh, Dish Wireless has put together. Um, it's actually about 30 feet from 916 Union. We are, um, we are eligible for the historic register. That makes a difference because these sorts of facilities are actually not supposed to be affecting historic structures. Our entire neighborhood is a historic area According to the Alameda, the Alameda City Historic Review Board, which has um, designated it as Leonardville and put together an entire book about it. Um, because my building is 30 feet away and four stories tall, it's just as tall as these antennas and they face directly into my bedroom windows. Um, there are people who sit in those bedroom windows working and sleeping 24 seven and are looking directly at 
this huge new installation, which is inappropriate. Um, I'd like to also tell you a little bit about what I've learned about this. I realize I don't have too much time, but the FCC has small wireless and large wireless. These are a large wireless facility. They also have new and co-locations. First, they said this was a co-location and the city just had to approve it immediately. That was not true. It's new. When it's new, you get to have some information you know, you have some input on design and also location. And the city has uh, published uh, guidelines for wireless facility locations. And this is the last location that it's supposed to be. It is in fact in print on the city uh, website that putting it in a dense residential neighborhood is discouraged and should not be done. So, um, and, once it is approved, it will be a co-location and they can make it bigger and bigger and bigger much more easily. So this is the point where you do actually have a chance to do something about this. As uh, Matt Reed stated, much of their application is empty. The, <laughs> the document looking at other locations has absolutely no information other than the hospital said no. Um, Please ask for more. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be John Cabalsaclis. Hello. Uh, I live on Clinton. I can see the structure from my backyard. Um, staff said that the location at Mastic was not scrutinized. I'm wondering why. And once this is a, if this goes through, will the other three carriers at the Alameda Hospital be permitted to go there without city approval? Because it is a co-location. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Any other speakers? No one else is raising their hand at this time. Thank you. Now I close the um, public comments section and open up for um, board comments. Board Member Teague. Well, I have a question for staff or DISH. So the issue was raised about three versus six antennas and the RF EME compliance report was that done you assuming six or was that done based on three? Kevin McManus from EBI, we, we authored the report. Um, the, it um, was done based upon uh, three antennas, one antenna per sector. There, uh, okay. Yes. Okay, and then I guess for staff and the attorney, if we in our resolution basically say we approve three and they'd have to come back to relocate, to co-locate three additional at that time, is that a acceptable thing in terms of FCC law? Uh, can you hear me? 
This is Alan Tuck. Yes. Sorry, I had to switch computers in between and I don't have my camera on. I'm sorry about that. So um, I would say um, the way co-location uh, rules work is that um, in order to co-locate, um, the additional antenna should not um, significantly enlarge existing site by, I think, up to like 28%. So I think it behooves the planning board to really take a look at what is being proposed today. If the enclosure is eight by eight, then you, we've pretty much set the boundaries for how much co-location can occur on the site. Um, and I think if that is important to the board and the community that we, um, sh we should pay attention to the enclosure, not so much the technology. So whether it's three antennas, four antennas, five antennas, or six antennas um, doesn't really matter. Um, for the city of Alameda, what really matters to this board, I think is the eight by eight by 13 um, dimensions. So if, um, because that, that would set the um, uh, sort of the size of the base station. Okay, so if they came back and added the additional three, they would have to generate a new report in order to be in compliance with FCC. Uh, so yes, on that, anytime you add an antenna, you would do a FCC uh, RF report, even if it's a co-location. So that would be a given. Okay. So there would have to be a new analysis done when they bring in the other three. Right. Okay. And the key here, I think, is um, for the planning board to make the finding that this particular enclosure, the way it's designed, dimensioned, is still compatible with existing building. Um, if the next carrier wants to co-locate, not that they can't, but um, they would have to demonstrate that their co-location and design is still in keeping with okay. the, the Thank current. you. Thank you. Um, I've looked at this. And I would like to thank everybody for talking and bringing their comments. Um, according to the plans, the, the nearest building is 32 feet, which is beyond that 28 foot measure, which basically says at 28 feet and beyond, you're within acceptable FCC limits in terms of radiation. Um, I, I do not like the aesthetics of it. it. It doesn't match the shape and bulk of the penthouse. Um, but if my other, uh, the rest of the board is uh, not feeling that way, I could leave that aside. Um, I would want to add a clarification that the barriers to end at least the height of the post away from the roof edge so that those barriers would not be visible from um, anywhere on the ground adjacent to the property. Those are my comments, thank you. Thank you, board member Hom. Thank you, uh, I just want, first of all, thank you for the public who provided came to the meeting providing some uh, comments. I just wanted to follow up on some of the comments that were raised or questions that were raised. And it probably has to, has to deal with some earlier discussion we just had at the board level. Um, number one, kind of getting to um, board member Teague's question, the structure as currently designed, you know, the eight by 13 or eight by eight by 13, is that size such that there's ability to co-locate some antennas within that structure or would you have to enclose, enlarge it 
in order to accommodate that. That's kind of question number one. Uh, question number two was, you know, there was discussion about other potential locations that if this is kind of a last resort in a residential district. So maybe for the applicant, clarify the process of how, why this is the only location. And there was mentions of location like the high school or even farther away, like Shoreline Shopping Center or something like that. If you could kind of talk about how the location is as restrictive such that this was really the last choice. And then the third question is, as is earlier, have you submitted a plan or like a master siting plan to the city to indicate where your other seven locations or whatever number it is, is spaced around the city? So those are the three questions I have. Uh, the, to answer the first question, uh, this is just a dish site. There will be no co-location within our uh, proposed uh, area. It'll just be for dish. Um, there will be no other carriers on the rooftop. Um, the Within the search ring, to answer the second question, within the search ring, um, there is only the one property. Uh, the school is outside the ring. The Westlake shopping mall is outside the ring. Um, that we're tightly trying to uh, get coverage in for this site. Um, this The school is outside. Uh, the hospital was really the only commercial property that was available. And we had discussions with them for over a month and a half. And then, you know, of course, they came back and said they're kicking all the carriers off of their roof. So um, we were limited to, um, unfortunately, this property. Uh, and the third question, uh, what was the third question exactly again? The third question was whether you've submitted to staff an overall siting plan for the for your various antennas throughout the island. Um, no, we have coverage maps that we can provide, uh, but we have not done that yet. Okay, is that something you plan to submit? Um, if if planning asks for that, I think uh, Dish has coverage capacity maps that will um, map out their sites and I don't think that's a problem to uh, to issue at all. Yeah, because I would think that in order for you to determine this location, you would have had to know the overall network and area that you need to cover. Yes, absolutely. It's tightly configured and they uh, break that down uh, per the region. So yeah, it's definitely available and I'll, I'll talk to uh, the RF engineer on getting that back to you guys. Okay. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other board comments? I do have a, another follow-up question as well. Um, I think maybe the um, and think I think maybe the public comment was referring to St. Joe's High School and not Alameda High School. St. Joe's High School was only a block is only a block away. Have you reviewed that site? We reached out to the school initially and uh, nobody got back to us for over a month and a half. So we disqualified that candidate. Um, we pursued it initially, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't viable due to lack of uh, landlord um, response. Okay, thank you. Um, any other board comments? Do we have a motion at the table? No one is making a motion. 
Well, I'll, I'll make a motion. <laughs> I think I think based on um, the discussion and what we've what we've heard, uh, and and I think I'd like to um, make the motion with uh, some of what Board Member Teague had um, uh, suggested in there as far as making sure that the barriers get pulled away from the edge of the of the parapet. Um, just to make sure that they're further concealed. So I would make a motion to approve with um, an adjustment to the barriers uh, that come close to the edge of the building. I, I don't, board member T, does that cover your... Um, uh, well, I would like the shape to change. It sounds like that's a much bigger effort. Yeah, just some commentary on that. It seems that um, keeping it, I, I know it's smaller than the bulkhead of the elevator overrun. It's currently on that building. Um, but based on the images that um, Alan, Alan Ty had shown us, I think minimizing it is probably um, a good thing. I'll, I'll second that motion. Okay. Any further board discussions? Seeing none, um, Brian, would you mind roll call the vote, please? Sure. Uh, board member Arisa? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Hom? Aye. Saheba? Aye. Teague? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. Uh, motion passes 6 0. Thank you. Moving on to agenda item 7B. Do we have a staff presentation? Good evening, Chair Ruiz. This is Andrew Thomas, Planning Director. I'll present this, um, this item. Uh, what we have before you is a resolution, um, draft resolution recommending that the City Council uh, adopt zoning map changes for seven parcels in the city of Alameda. Um, and those seven parcels are necessary to accommodate the city's regional housing needs. Um, these seven parcels were all specifically identified in the draft housing element that the planning board unanimously, unanimously recommended to the city council at your last meeting. Um, just in summary uh, and reminder, the seven parcels include um, four shopping center sites in the city of Alameda. All four would receive the uh, mixed use um, combining district overlay. There are two sites in the Northern waterfront, um, the one at Mariner Square Loop and one at 2199 Clement Avenue. They would both receive the multifamily residential combining district overlay. And then the seventh site, is uh, Webster Street Plaza at uh, the corner of Webster and Atlantic. Um, this site is zoned manufacturing and the zoning change would be to community commercial to match the rest of the Webster Street corridor. Two of these seven sites also require a general plan amendment. That final one that I mentioned, the Webster Street Plaza, uh, the general plan designation um, would be changed to mixed use. Um, and the um, one of the northern waterfront sites is uh, general plan designation. Um, 
uh, is currently business and employment, and it would be also changed to mixed use. Um, with that, I am available to answer any questions. Thank you, Andrew. Um, now open up to board clarifying questions for member Hom. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Just one quick, easy question. I know we've already covered this, these seven sites quite a bit in prior workshops that you've had on the Sonic mm -hmm. Amendments. Just want to confirm, has there been any proposed language changes or any tweaks to the proposed zoning since the last time we discussed these seven parcels? Or are you basically carrying forward what we've already discussed in prior meetings? Oh, the latter. We're, we're bringing forward what we've discussed in the past. Okay, just wanted to just confirm that. Thanks. Board member Sahiba. Yeah, quick question as well. Um, Andrew, in these seven sites, has there been continued discussion with um, the owners of these uh, properties? And uh, I'm assuming that as far as what is being proposed, uh, the owner owners are also aligned with, with these zoning changes and um, looking at you know what's happening currently within their shopping centers. They're they're still comfortable with with what with this direction. Yes, um, we have we have been in discussion with um, owners of all seven sites from very early in the housing element process. I mean, it um, we've been um, we weren't able to identify them as housing opportunity sites in the draft housing element until we had confirmed that in fact, the property owners were interested in developing housing on these sites over the next eight years. Um, in a couple cases, the, the property owners have been very active, you know, and have been tracking this process through the last two years, um, attending your workshops on the zoning changes, um, and, and those sorts of things. So, um, and the zoning is tailored to, we also, it also benefited us staff when drafting this zoning to have the input. In some cases, such as South Shore Shopping Center, um, the Webster Street Plaza site, um, some of the, uh, the two Northern Waterfront sites, um, we were able to ensure because the property owners had developed their thinking on how many housing units they could build. And so in the housing element, we actually have a projection of the number of housing units that can be built on each of these sites based on those conversations. And also to make sure that the proposed zoning would allow for you know, the appropriate heights and those kinds of things that are needed to make it financially viable to develop these sites. So the short answer is yes, we've been in, in, in discussion with all the property owners, um, some more than others. I mean, that, Absolutely. Any other board questions? Okay, now I'm gonna open up for public comments. Do we have any public comments? Currently, there's only one person raising their hand. First speaker will be Karen Bay. Good evening, President Luez and uh, members of the planning board. Um, I, I just a little concerned because I, I thought that uh, there was uh, one uh, one shopping in, in the Alameda Shopping Center that there was one parcel 
that was previously included in the housing element, and that's the site with uh, Mariner Square, uh, Mariner Village um, Fitness Center and Aquatech. The address is 2227 Mariner Square Loop, and it's parcel number 74-905-30. I had to actually go look at the parcels numbers, and that's when I realized it was missing. Um, and in a conversation previously at previous planning board meetings, I thought I remember uh, Director Thomas said that that owner of that site was interested in development um, and that the other site, the larger site, the 23 acre site, that there wasn't any interest in that site. So just, just concerned that we might have missed a parcel. Um, um, and again, my biggest concern is that the West End is experiencing most of the future growth in both jobs and population, yet we stand to lose a lot of retail in both of our shopping centers on the West End. Uh, at the same time, there's gonna be a water shuttle planning to take um, lunchtime workers and future residents off island. Um, and again, I see this as a potential, a major concern of you know potential increase in sales tax leakage. So, I, I guess it's too late to fix that, um, you know, but I just assumed that it was in there. I didn't know the parcel numbers by heart, but I actually did the research before I made this comment. And that's when I noticed that it was missing. Um, so uh, again, we're losing both of our, I mean, potentially lots of retail and both shopping centers and we've lost both of our hotels on Webster Street. Again, I am very concerned about a huge increase in sales tax leakage to the city. Um, and that's my major concern. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comments? Currently, no one else is raising their hand. Great, now I'm good. Oh, um, we have- oh, I just Yeah. Mike, please unmute yourself. You know what makes our cloud? Money so big, niggas think I'm yeast, bitch. You can't go. Marty, thank you for taking care of that. Um, so now let's open up for board comments. Board member T. I move that we recommend the city council adopt the land use um, designation in these amendments as described in the resolution. I second that. Thank you. Um, board member Riza. Um, I, I just had a clarifying question. Presumably, I mean, the zoning uh, amendments the just to clarify what the person who spoke the the amendment of the zoning map doesn't mean necessarily that the we would lose the commercial areas correct that is correct we um, don't know what the projects would that would come in for review would look like well, we don't know what they look like, but what we do know is this: the the overlay districts, and this was debate, this was discussed and um, at prior planning board meetings over the last year. Um, at the shopping centers, what the zoning allows is the addition of housing, 
provided that a minimum amount of commercial is provided and, and excuse me, preserved. So for example, at Harbor Bay uh, Shopping Center, uh, they, they need to maintain uh, 90,000 square feet. I think at uh, South Shore Shopping Center, it's half a million square feet of commercial, maybe it's 400,000 or 500,000 square feet of, of ground floor uh, commercial space needs to be preserved. So the, we structured this zoning to ensure, we were trying to add housing to shopping centers to create a mixed use environment. And we wrote a zoning code that ensured that what we didn't get was the removal of all of our retail and just housing. Um, we want both. And it doesn't, as, as many speakers have pointed out over the years, it's, we need the housing, but we also need the commercial. Um, so um, we have been working with the property owners. We created a ratio basically based on acreage. Um, I think it's 9,000 square feet per acre. So Harbor Bay Shopping Center is, is approximately nine acres, or excuse me, 10 acres. So it's the 90,000 square feet. Um, South Shore Shopping Center is 44 acres, so that's that's why you get to the 400,000 square feet of, of retail. If we really designed this zoning to ensure that we didn't lose all of our retail if in the process of adding housing. Thank you, Director Thomas. Any um, further or comments? We have a motion and we have a second. Brian, would you mind taking a uh, roll, roll call the vote, please? Sure. Uh, board member Ariza. Aye. Cisneros. Aye. Hom. Aye. Saheba. Aye. Teague. Aye. And President Ruiz. Aye. Thank you. Okay, now moving on to Agenda um, item number 7C. Do we have a staff presentation? Uh, yes. Um, I'm Henry Dong with the Planning, Building, and Transportation Department, and I'll give a uh, presentation real quick. Okay. So this item um, 7C, it's a master plan amendment, uh, development plan amendment, design review approval for the Alameda Landing um, mixed use uh, waterfront development. Um, I'm gonna give a brief um, recap and then um, Bill Sadler, um, the applicant with Pulte will uh, provide a short presentation as well. Um, before we get started, I uh, just wanted to mention we received one uh, written comment from the public. Um, it was a um, comment in regards to concerns with um, blocking of scenic vistas uh, and scenic views. Um, and uh, they had concerns that the project didn't analyze that um, as part of the uh, environmental review. Um, but the Alameda Landing um, Master Plan and the EIR did uh, uh, anticipate that it would be a building up to uh, five stories tall on this particular site. And so um, it did um, analyze that in the environmental review of the project. Um, so in 2019, um, the planning board approved 
design review and development plan um, for uh, 357 units on this site and a 5,000 square foot uh, commercial space that meets the um, existing master plan requirements. Um, then in December of 2021, um, Pulte uh, presented to the board an amendment um, to, the, to the project to replace 5,000 square feet of commercial space um, due to anticipated difficulties with uh, filling a retail location at this particular spot. Um, and uh, I guess their research indicated that it wouldn't be, retail wouldn't be a viable option at this location. Um, so during that meeting, the planning board allowed the project to take additional time to analyze and hash out um, a plan for the space. And the board requested that the um, applicant include a community space component to the, um, to the project. And so since then, uh, Pulte has been working with planning staff and the uh, Recreations and Parks Department to develop a new mixed use um, proposal that includes a community building that will become part of the waterfront park. Um, that, commu that proposed community space satisfies the city's needs for a building that can provide um, a program that includes summer and after school uh, youth programming for uh, primarily teens, uh, rental space for the public to use, and then as well as um, senior classes, which will all help to activate the waterfront plaza and the waterfront park. So um, in summary, we, we feel that this community space, which will be fully constructed by the applicant before handing over to the city and the affordable housing units that they're proposing um, are um, both meet big need, needs for the city. And so staff is recommending approval. And then if the board uh, decides to approve tonight, uh, the council will need to approve the master plan amendment and then also decide if the uh, community building will become a, a city facility um, in, for, in order for this project to move forward. Uh, and with that, that concludes my brief summary. And if there aren't any questions, we can have um, Bill Sadler come up to um, present the project. All right. Thank you, Henry. Um, thanks, uh, Planning Board, for giving us the opportunity to come back to you with uh, an alternative um, um, option that we think works um, works. Um, I won't say perfectly, but works works well for um, what we have um, to work with. Um, as you as Henry st stated, we came came to you back in December with an affordable housing um, options, and the board was pretty divided on, on the affordable house uh, housing as well as um, recreational community use. And like, like Henry said, I suggested that we come um, go back and spend some time studying alternatives. Um, and um, since then, we've spent um, a fair amount of time with uh, Amy Woodbridge and the planning staff on back and forth, going back and forth on what we can make work. Um, and as Henry stated, we, um, What's proposed now are two um, residential, we call it single family detached um, condos. Um, they're called the Breeze product. It's the it's two of the uh, what's already been approved and being built adjacent to this this uh, this lot. 
Um, and those will be uh, deed restricted moderate rate income units, uh, as well as the uh, it's 469, I'm sorry, 1,469 square feet recreation building that once completed, we will dedicate it to the city of Alameda. Um, as part of this process, we would be processing a lot line adjustment um, to, um, to um, place the recreation building on park property. Currently, it sits on a on one lot that we would um, adjust with a lot line adjustment as part of our processing going forward. Um, the part of the reason for doing that is that this rec building would be um, would not be subject to HOA dues. It would not be part of the association. It would be fully maintained interior and exterior maintained by by the by the city and the parks department, both interior and exterior. Um, uh, as you can see here, you've got um, the two breeze units as well as their the the, the side yard outdoor exclusive use feature of the units, and then our brick building um, just to the east of it. Um, as you can see, it's got um, two access points. We uh, we found that um, since the access to the park um, comes from, um, we'll call it the the top of the recreation building, we wanted to focus the entrance, the primary entrance to the north. Um, so as you see there with the cursor, um, that is uh, facing to the north, um, connected to a primary connection point from the park. And then coming towards uh, the bottom to the south is a secondary um, ingress and egress point. Um, and so that's the overview of the site as it sits in the park, obviously is over uh, to the right of what, of the rec building here. And if you could um, go to um, maybe the street scene, Henry, or the front elevation. Yeah, so um, that would work. Yeah, so here you're looking at the, the proposed three structures coming from the uh, Fifth Street cul-de-sac, um, looking towards, uh, you call it Northwest, um, this this uh, side of the building is is actually the the rear of the building, but it does face um, Mark Mariner, which is uh, an entry point to the to the, the to the development the residential development. So we spent some time on this elevation to to make sure that we did not turn our back to um, to to this elevation as it's um, it's a fro front facade we'll call it, um, and we'll get to the interior in a minute. And here you can see this is the secondary access point from the Fifth Street cul-de-sac. Um, let's see, um, Henry, do you want to go to the, um, the elevation slide of all four elevations? Sheet, uh, keep going. Um, there you go. We might we'll go back. So um, as you can see, what we're... Um, designating as the, the front ele elevation is the elevation that faces the park. Um, the left elevation is, is what the elevation we looked at that's coming from Martin Mariner from the front of the residential, um, the two residential buildings. And then the, uh, the right elevation is the entry coming from the main entry from the park. And then of course the rear elevation is really the right elevation. It basically has its back turned to the uh, residential uh, side yard of the residential building, it's consistent with the use of, of that product type um, 
where each resident has exclusive use of the space between their 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 um, their home and their adjacent building home. It's about seven and a half feet of space in width and probably thirty to thirty-ish feet in, in depth. So it's consistent with what's been approved through the through the site. Um, Henry, I'd like to go to the uh, the uh, floor plan. If you don't mind, I can walk us through the interior. I think you want to go. Um, you want to go to sheet. Uh, it's up front. I'm sorry. Let me find it. I have it open on my slides. That um, that you can go back. You could if you want to zoom in, Henry. If you were able to zoom into the footprint on the right. There you go. So as we move into the interior space, you can see to the top, to the north, the covered entry. We talked about that. It's got a, um, a small porch area with um, a, a utility room to the, to the left. Th that point is where the uh, existing utilities will come um, and serve this building. Um, and as you come into the uh, main portion of the recreation room, um, you'll see to the, to the left uh, uh, a wall with uh, will be prepped for, um, for video. Um, we'll have uh, power and low voltage there to set up any sort of video system that uh, would, 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 uh, could be used for any future uses. As you come um, down towards the uh, south inside the, the, the rec building, you'll see a kitchenette that has a small uh, below counter microwave uh, sink. And then there's a refrigerator um, at the very corner of the kitchenette area. And then along the southern portion of the building, this is where we have um, two all gender restrooms and um, two restrooms are required by code based on square footage. So we were, uh, we thought that's probably uh, appropriate use as it is. There's a janitor's room in between the two as well as some drinking fountains. And then um, um, the, the team was looking for some storage. So we, we, we made sure we carved out uh, um, an area for, for any sort of storage. Um, and then, and then, just really from a timing standpoint, as you um, may or may not know, this this current um, lot, lot forty eight, is currently serving as our temporary sales office. We have a uh, pit set sa double wide sales trailer that we've converted for a sales office, and we um, the plan is we would um, uh, once we've completed our sales um, operations, which right now. We are forecasting sometime um, in the early part of 2024. Um, once we complete um, and sell our, our remaining units, we would vacate the sales office. We would um, obviously remove the sales trailer. We would come mobilize and um, prepare the site with utilities and and uh, and regrade the three uh, three pads, and then start construction uh, immediately following um, removal of the existing trailer. And um, we don't have a schedule for the construction of this at this point. It's still early. We uh, need to kick off our construction drawings as soon as we um, are able to get approvals to, to move forward. So with that, that completes my presentation. Thank you. Um, now open up for, um, actually, before I open for, for questions, Henry, is that all the presentation you have? Uh, yes, that's all that we had. Thank you. 
Um, Bill, thank you. And that's um, open up a board, clarifying questions. Board member Sahiba. Yeah, thanks for the presentation. Um, I had a few questions. One is, uh, Henry, has this um, plan been reviewed with the Parks Department? Um, yes, we've um, we've been working closely with the uh, Recreation and Parks Director, and so she's um, been reviewing this through the whole process, and she's even given us um, a list of items um, to con condition to make sure that they include as part of like the tenant improvement at the um, prior to handing over to her. So this program has been developed with the Parks Department for mm -hmm. the exterior and the interior of this building. That's right. Okay, thank you. Um, is a parks department also where where the if if I understood where the property line is going to be adjusted to their ability to maintain this building in the future? Because uh, edge of this building, I saw a three foot strip along the western edge, and then um, it looks like it goes into a private area of of the adjacent building there. Uh, which is being proposed is, is a parks department comfortable with the maintenance of the exterior envelope of this building, uh, even though it abuts um, potentially going onto private property? Yeah, the, um, the building initially was right up on the property line. Um, so the parks director asked that we uh, push the building out at least um, three feet and then include a, a easement, an access easement within the the neighbor's yard, so just in case they need to go through there to get it to it. Okay. Is there also parking being provided for the um, for for this? Uh, I guess facility is is that what I'm seeing with an ADA stall to the to the left of of one of the homes proposed, and a couple stalls to the to the north. Is that being deeded to the city as well? Those those parking stalls. Uh, Bill, do you know if there's? Uh, yeah, I can I can respond. No, there there is no modification to the the parking. Um, I think uh, it, the the concept was that um, there's the parking would um, is provided along Fifth Street. I think we uh, we contemplated um, the parking stalls to be available for both residents as well as visitors to the to the um, to the building. But as we recall, there's um, 36 public parking stalls to the east of the overall project that are our are, are city are I guess will be city owned parking stalls and um, it's it's uh, expected anticipated that um, uh, guests or visitors from public visitors would park in those parking stalls and walk to the park and to the rec building. So originally when this was developed or being contemplated as a retail pad you you did have parking stalls that were for the exclu exclusive use of retail. Was that not the case? There were parking stalls provided, but I don't recall that they were exclusive parking um, stalls for the retail building only. I don't, I have to go pull up the conditions, but I don't believe they specified those stalls exclusive. So these stalls that are still there that were, I guess, not exclusive to the retail, but could be used by retail were stalls that, um, if open, I guess now the public could use or the residents could use, is that what we're saying? That's correct. Okay, and the accessible route 
to the recreation building from these stalls is, um, if I'm reading this correctly, a little circuitous to the front door from from the from the ADA stall. You, you um, if if uh, if uh, if uh, um, a person needing um, accessible path of travel was to park in the parking stalls to the west of of these three buildings, they would simply come um, along the the walkway along Mart Mariner, um, and then have turn and have uh, their shortest path of travel would be on these the uh, the entrance that faces the the the, the park, or if they were to go into the park, they would be able to come around to the second to the other entrance to the north both both access points are accessible okay uh, and then last question i guess since this has been reviewed by the parks and rec department is there a, is is there a clarity on what vegetation is part of the I guess the new property line, uh, and and I guess it, this is the way that this drawing's done. It's difficult to tell how this is integrated into the adjacent park. This this design, how how it actually um, starts to merge, I guess the the park with the recreation building. Is is that been yeah. considered, and is it cohesive? Um. Yeah, that is the intent. the uh, The design team for 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 these three buildings in this area um, um, is the same design team for the residential overall residential development. Um, we uh, we also incorporated or utilized the approved park plans as as we look to um, integrate this um, this adjoining line. But I think um, it'd be it'd be worthwhile just to confirm that our landscape architect for this exercise and this project here. Um, just, I would need to make sure confirm that there's an integration um, of the plant material. But I believe there's there's there um, the overall landscaping theme throughout the overall development park and residential uh, is cohesive. But we could easily make sure that that is um, looked more closely here as well. Okay, those are my questions at the moment. Thank you. Thank you. Board member Hong. Yeah, thank you. Um, question probably for both staff and the applicant, but maybe with Henry first. I'm looking through the conditions of approval, and there's unless I missed it, there's nothing that that defines what the required timing for construction of this community building is. Is it tied somehow tied to occupancy of a, of a certain amount of the residential units, or how is how is that being addressed? And then maybe for the applicant, you know, you, you've talked a little bit about it, but are you planning to construct this rec building at the same time you built the two adjacent uh, residential units? Seems like there needs to be a, something that ties in um, the required timing for completion or some metal building permits, et cetera, for this community building. So. Yeah, Henry, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, if you could. Maybe I missed a condition. I'm just yeah, scrolling um, through it. That's a good question. And um, maybe it's worth talking that over a little bit. Because I think the we had initially wrote the condition to require the building um, by the 350th certificate of occupancy. Mm -hmm. um, but then listening to Bill's conversation uh, during his presentation, um, would that 
would that work for you, Bill? So, um, not not specifically. I, um, as part of our discussions with planning, um, the uh, the the condition that was stated had stated to have, um, yeah, like you see right here, three hundred thirtieth permit. That was for the permit to be issued. We're um, but uh, as we had stated in our previous um, hearing back in uh, December, that we are using the the sales office. Um, for our sales operations for the project until we were built out, um, and that we would we would look for a revised condition that would tie us to um, um, you know uh, something needs to be uh, probably discussed a little more detail, but tying to a building uh, the building final of the last building or, or 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 something that would blend in with our overall schedule. Um, but uh, but but yeah, so we would we would be ex we'd expect to have permits in our hands um, at the time that we um, sold out, which is well before our final closing. And we would build, yes, we would build all three of these structures together at one time. Okay. It seems to me there should be some condition of approval that provides that certainty or guarantee that somehow the city's holding up the last building permits yep. maybe for these two units before you know, you need to get occupancy approval for this community building, perhaps before the occupancy is approved for the last two units or something along that line. I don't know exactly yeah. what it is, but it seems like something needs to be put in the conditions. That, that was my understanding and expectation as well. Okay, okay. Um, and then uh, the other question, this is for more for you, Bill, is that when I, it seems like there, I, unless it's four people living in the same unit, Seems like we've. I saw that there are four letters submitted to to the board regarding uh, concerns about the visual blockage of um, this housing unit, and indicating that there was no notification or neighborhood meeting to alert these homeowners, these new homeowners, of this proposal. Um, certainly, it wasn't meant to be, you know, open space at all. But yeah. they also mentioned that they paid a premium for these lots because they're supposed to be represented as view lots. Can you address those concerns? Yes, I can. Um, I still serve on the um, on the board, the Homeowners Association board, um, and we uh, provide a developer update at all of our board meetings. We've, um, we've shared our plan um, conceptually to, to, to the, um, the, the board members. Um, uh, so there is that should not that would never be a surprise. It's always it was it was um, if it wasn't this the previous um, you know what's what's currently required now is a larger five thousand square foot with no max height um, that we could um, verify. We contemplated a, a live work product um, previously putting units above it. So we're actually um, the two breeze units are three story. They're very consistent with across the street. And of course, the rec building itself is a single story unit. So um, we don't believe there is uh, much of a visual impact, maybe to the building directly adjacent at the at the second or third floor, possibly. But um, no, I, I, I feel like we've been fairly transparent and communicative to the association as we serve on the board. Okay. okay. Those, those are my questions, uh, President Ruiz. Thank you. Board Member T. Thank you. 
Um, are the breeze units accessible are visible? I'm looking at the floor plan, they don't look visible. I uh, I don't know off the top of my head. It's um it's the same, they're the same um, floor plans that we've already um constructed 30 30 of these. These would be two more of the same. Right. But um, the, the development is not 100 percent visitable, correct? No, not a hundred percent, but I'd have to defer to Henry. Leave the um the flats, the um the landing um, um elevator served. Yeah, the 12, 12 unit flats, those are the ones that are 100%. Thank you. Okay, There's so 96 of those. What, what other options did you guys explore in terms of commercial retail, com uh, community use for this site since December? I appreciate you, Bill, clarifying that indeed the board was split in December. We granted the, the change to the timing, but the board did not say yeah because there were two board members who were not looking to remove commercial and right. two board members who were so um, what other options did you guys explore we this was probably the option our takeaway from the from our last board meeting was um recognizing a, a need for additional affordable units but also a need for a common gathering space and so we took that as our primary initiative. We, um, we pulled um, um, an example from a building that we had built uh, in San Jose about a, about a 900 square foot um, structure. And we started with that. And as we tweaked and modified and came up with uh, the scenario to create a lot line adjustment, it gave us more workable square footage um, in full support from, from Amy and her team. And we were able to expand the square footage to the 1460. Um, since that was uh, well received by both planning and the parks department, that was our that was our primary um, initiative, which 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 is where we where we landed for today. Okay, thank you. I have no other questions. Thank you. Any other um, or clarifying questions? Board members, Saheba. Yeah, I just had a follow-up question. Uh, so when you did explore some of the other options like you were just describing, in the current community, is there any other interior community space for, for the residents or um, it was only the, the retail was, was sort of gonna, gonna be the amenity? Yeah, the retail wasn't gonna be amenity for the Necessarily for the for the for the private amenity for the for the for the residents, it was a um, it was continuing from a additional additional requirement for some retail, which, like we had shared in December, we've we've um, been unable to find a commercial developer to, to 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 tackle that. So now by providing this this structure with this use, now there is more of a common um, a, a common potential use through the city of Alameda. Okay, was there any contemplation for just a community amenity um, or was there concern of HOA fees that would be impacted by providing an amenity? Exactly, we, we, uh, with an approved DRE budget, we, were, we weren't able to, we, we weren't even able to really consider um, bringing in some sort of a structure. We spent some time consulting with our DRE attorney to help us kind of work within the DRE 
um, rules and guidelines. So that was not a feasible option for us. Okay, thank you. Uh, Ms. Ruiz, you're- you. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for the comments and responses. That's now open up for public comments. Currently, there are five people raising their hand. The first speaker will be Bill or Jill Benson. And um, following that will be um, Carrie DeGraff. So Jill, please unmute yourself. Hi, this is Jill. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, calling from the East Coast. Uh, Jill Benson and Ken Woodward, my husband, and we um, are really excited and have committed substantial dollars. We're currently in escrow um, in the flats, 2878 um, 5th Street in the four story. Um, and we're in unit 124. Thank you uh, for the planning board to listening to us, your residents, your future residents, the community. Um, this is wonderful community. So thank you and Mr. Sadler. Uh, we're very concerned about the the premium we paid for our our our, uh, our currently under escrow for our place and the assurances we had from Pulte that there would be the three story uh, two three story residents and then um, a one story community um, building. So we're not uh, against that idea, but. Uh, it, it from our perspective, and I know different owners have different perspectives, but the uh, recreation building uh, appears in the elevation almost as tall as the three story. So uh, being one story and being assured it was a one story, we feel that our view is going to be adversely uh, affected. And then having to look down on the roof as well, it looks like from the roof elevation, there's a number of uh, pieces of equipment all over the roof. And um, it, it's really a, looking to be more of an eyesore. Uh, parking issues are a real concern as well. I uh, expect this public space, it's not for our community, it is for public space and where all these people are gonna park to use the recreation and to, to, to go to all these classes. And uh, again, it's not that we're against the idea, it's a good solid idea and I applaud that, but um, it, 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 it's not right that we're having um, what we were sold taken away from us. Um, and again, we're in escrow, so I, I would defer to some of the residents that have full-time experience looking out at that um, estuary and the sales office as it is now. Did you have anything to say, Ken? Or? No, thanks. I think it's just on the on the fourth floor, it's it's really aesthetics looking down on, on the two, three-story buildings and the one-story uh, recreational, if they can provide some consistent roof structure, possibly even to the recreational building to conceal whatever mechanical things might be there. That would be better visual uh, aesthetics for us. We hope you might consider that. Thank you for your time. And um, we encourage you to take our concerns seriously. Thank you. Next speaker. Next speaker will be Carrie DeGraff. 
And then following that will be, following Carrie will be um, Enrico. Good evening, this is Carrie DeGraff. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Excellent. Well, we appreciate your, uh, your time and your effort and um, your consideration of the community's views here. So we've been residents of this community since it, its inception, really, uh, since December 2021. Um, and when we moved in, we were told that there was going to be maybe something built here and maybe up to a certain line. Um, but what we're now being told is that that line is being pushed further and further, which as the last uh, community residents just noted is part of our lot premium that we paid into. Um, additionally, we do have concerns about parking. There's already limited parking as Pulte constructed our homes with extremely narrow garages that almost no one can use if you have a vehicle that's um, not a Prius. So a lot of the residents are using the parking and it's going to be a continual problem in the community. Um, and then I think more, most importantly is that, uh, Pulte just hasn't been forthright with the community and they haven't been forthright with the people that are already living here. And I think that the community, uh, and the council should take a hard look at what they are providing because the plan continues to change. And that's very concerning for both the residents and community members of Alameda. Pulte is going to leave. They're not going to live here. We are going to live here and we care about this community and we're excited to be a part of it. So I hope that we take a really hard look about what's gonna happen here when they leave and what we're gonna be subject to. Um, I know that Bill did say that he presented something to the board as to our HOA, but the thing is the community residents are not allowed to be part of the HOA at this point. Um, so we actually don't have any communication with the HOA and the HOA is owned by the developer and the developer is Pulte. So it's really hard for us to um, believe what they're gonna say because they're not taking our considerations in despite the fact that we've continually talked to them and sent comments in and requested that the board, the HOA, uh, respond to the community. Because it's owned by Pulte, we've received almost nothing. So we'd really like the city council to consider the residents and consider the people of Alameda. So thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Enrico Lamucao. And followed by Chris. Hi, uh, this is Sherry de Guzman and Enrico Limcaco. Are you guys uh, hearing us okay? Yes. Thank you. I, I would just like to echo um, the previous speaker in terms of um, the visibility that we've had into these plans. Uh, I've been, and we've been a residence here for about six months now, and I would, um, I would echo her sentiments as far as We've been able to attend a board meeting, but this is the first time that we've seen these plans. Um, there, the board meetings are exclusive to the board members for a good portion of it, and we are allowed to attend a certain portion that for public comment and public feedback to uh, the developer. And as someone that is very involved in the community and very involved with the development plans and trying to get that level of information. I would echo her sentiments as far as not having as much visibility in this as we could. 
um, the fact that we're here on this call today, I think shows um, the research that we've been doing to try and get information and be uh, a participant in this development process. Um, I'm also concerned about the loss of parking once the sales unit um, goes away. Currently, there's like a mini lot of maybe six parking spots that the sales team uses for um, for visitors to the sales uh, building. My original um, understanding was that that sales building was going to be converted either into, like you said, a commercial uh, retail type building or something for the community. And we have no objections for that. We are actually thrilled at the prospect of that idea. But to lose those six spots for the people that would access that building when we already have such limited public parking as it is. Yes, there is the 36 um, spots to the east, but as far as easy access to that building, it would be limited to those four spots that you saw on the plans and the parking that is on Fifth Street. Current use rate is, you know, the there's a few spots open during the day and, and during the evening, but once that park opens up, people will attend the park and we want them to attend the park but i think that loss of those six spaces is pretty critical and then the fact that we're shoving two residents into that space seems very awkward especially with having the lot to the left of that that lot faces directly into those resident space so i just don't know how how that will add to the um the character of the neighborhood when it's such a nice walkable space as it is now. So with that, I'll, you know, give my time back to the to the board. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. The next speaker will be Chris Lloyd. And followed by Joel. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. Uh, good evening, President Ruiz and members of the planning board. I'm here tonight to ask the board to make and approve a motion to delay the approval of the amendment to the Fifth Street Master Plan for at least 30 days until getting input from the current and future residents of the Bay 37 community. As I mentioned in an email I sent to all of you over the weekend, I moved into the Bay 37 community this past January. Um, However, when residents were sold homes in the community, we were told that by the Pulte sales office uh, that the sales office would eventually be replaced with a commercial space. And I'll say it was very much sold as an amenity. Um, and I will say just to respond to the earlier comments by Mr. Dong, you know, it was never indicated that that commercial space could be five stories or taller. Certainly. Uh, to me, and I would be surprised if that were the case to any uh, purchaser. We were never consulted about the potential change in this plan. I had a few notices that were recently placed on utility poles in the neighborhood. And in speaking to my neighbors over the past week, it's become clear that many are still not informed. And once they do learn of this plan, they have strong opinions and want to provide input, as you can see by the people who've turned out this evening. Some of just the examples that I've heard neighbors talk about, they've said, hey, what if we didn't do the two additional homes and made this a much larger um, community center? A lot of people have talked about adding additional parking as some of the other board members have spoken about this evening. While a community center and two moderate income homes may ultimately be the right 
course of action to pursue, I think it's vitally important that the residents who will be most impacted by this change have an opportunity to have their voice heard through a survey or an open meeting of some kind. And I actually think this kind of input can be gathered in a very timely manner. Um, we have a very active Facebook and Nextdoor group. I know that um, Mr. Sadler said that this has been discussed in the HOA. I like the other callers have been actively involved in the community. I've never seen these plans before. I think the homeowners association is very aggressive to show up at our neighbors' homes when they have a doormat that doesn't match the aesthetic of the neighborhood. I would hope they would be just as equally aggressive to show up to show us these plans and get our input. Um, so I will thank all of you to your service for the planning board. And again, I will hope you seriously consider delaying the approval of this amendment for at least 30 days to collect the feedback from the current and future residents of the community. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Joel Plisante and followed by Steve. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, this is Joel Plaisance. Uh, I'm one of the owners of uh, the, a unit at 2855 5th Street. Uh, we uh, have a, a, a unit on the a northwest corner, so we have a, a little view down the corridor at 5th Street. Uh, and we are impacted by, our, our views will be impacted by this. Uh, we, um, I'd like to reiterate, uh, we, you know, that the parking will be a problem. Um, it's routinely full along 5th Street and, and the project is not even sold out yet. Um, uh, you know, notice really is, is inadequate. It might be legally adequate, I don't know. But, you know, whereas the HOA received notice of this, uh, it's controlled by the developer and they did not disclose anything to us. Um, in terms of uh, specifics as to our view, um, you know, I took a plot plan and a protractor and I figured out that uh, the community center will probably take away about eight degrees of our view, which doesn't sound like much, but our, our total view is about 24 degrees. So that's about a third. You know, and we paid uh, our lot premium for the view was $90,000. So if you take away a third, that's $30,000, which may not be significant to Bill Gates, but it's significant to us. So I, in my email, I noted that uh, we object to, uh, it's like finding number three, I believe, which said uh, the proposed use will not adversely affect any other property in the vicinity. Well, I, I disagree, it, it affects us. So I, I think I would propose that we at least do a sight line study. Uh, we're on the second floor, so it may not affect Earth. us as much, third floor, yeah. But the people below us, I think will be really impacted. So I think we should do a quick sight line study. It'd be easy to toss up some, some boards and some plastic sheeting and just see exactly what it looks like. Uh, other than that, uh, I think I'll close out then. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Next speaker will be Steve. And followed by, um, I don't know, 
Yao. Hi, this is Steve. Are you able to hear me? Yes. Hi, so I'm one of the homeowners that will be directly impacted by the construction of uh, the three-story building. So our view would be obscured from 100% likely to zero, which is why we're on this call. Um, but in addition to, to that, which is the primary reason of our objections, um, just a lot of the other uh, residents and neighbors have already mentioned, but like to reiterate that as well with parking, um, in addition to not as much transparency um, than may have been uh, seemingly communicated. In terms of the design itself, one question that I would have or just something interesting is with the pushing out of the lot line of, for the recreation center further east, I believe, um, that is very interesting. It's quite close to the roundabout there and very um, uh, close to the street. So just curious on how that decision was made to have the two homes and the community center uh, moving everything further east. Hi, I'm Cece. I also live in the same residence with Steve, and I'm very concerned that um, I think it's really good that we're building the community center and providing a space for teens and seniors to come. But like, as everyone has already reiterated, parking is extremely limited as it is already. Um, and then having a place for people to go, but not providing parking, I feel like it's just not nice okay that's all thanks thank you next speaker please next speaker will be yael haravillar follow oh that's that's the last speaker hi i'm yael haravillar um 2892 5th street owner um as Bill had mentioned, he mentioned that the second or third floor of our building would likely be impacted. So I am on the second floor, um, which would directly face the proposed um, lot. Um, I think everything is uh, sounds great, but I'm concerned about the height of the recreation building. I'm wondering its height in comparison with the current building that's there. Um, I think our view would definitely be impacted. Um, I'm concerned about the roof viewing, things that um, Jill had mentioned. I 100% behind Carrie in terms of lack of transparency between the HOA and the current residents. Um, also echo the concern about parking. It's already an issue and I am concerned about how are we allowing current residents as well as visitors to come and um, be a part of said community center. Um, Joel had mentioned, oh, this, uh, to look at the, uh, if we can see a sight line kind of mock-up, I would love that. I think that would be great and more transparent with the current residents in terms of how it would affect our view. Um, and yeah, I just wanna echo any, everyone who's spoken before me in terms of lack of transparency, parking issues. Um, and I, I think there definitely will be a, a blocking of the view. Um, I'm wondering what also research was gone into this plan change. Um, it was mentioned briefly that there was quote research that said that a commercial building would not be effective. I'm, I'm wondering really what was behind that, especially with the pedestrian bridge and the item line right before ours was talking about, um, you know, wanting more mixed use spaces and not have so much residential. And then this current line is about putting more residents. So I'm just confused about where the priorities of the city are in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. Any other speakers? 
Um, possibly Marnie Roosevelt. Hi, um, I really, everyone said it so beautifully, and I have nothing different to say. We were, we did actually pay an upgrade also so that we had a small view of the estuary, which will be, um, and my, I'm not an architect, but it looks to me like we'll lose about a third to a half of our view. Parking is terrible. Um, I can't, it, the park hasn't even opened up yet. So when the park does open up, it's just going to get much worse. And we have had no transparency. Every time that my husband and I asked about what was going to happen with the sales office, we were told, oh, we're not really sure. It may be a community center. It may be some real till. But never, ever was any, did anybody say that there is a plan and that this is what the plan is. And we may or we may not have bought our place had we known and we should have had that choice. Um, so I, too, I, I would like to echo what Chris said about giving us some time to really find out what's going on. Also, we're in um, one story flat. It's called the Flats. And there are a number of senior citizens who have no idea what's going on. They may or may not be computer illiterate. And there, there was no signs posted. There was nothing from the HOA that we got. Perhaps there was, you know, the legal part was done on the perimeter of the property with signs on poles. But had somebody from our Facebook page not found out about this and alerted everybody else, we found out about it last Thursday. My husband have been my husband and I have been living in our place for three weeks now, and just assumed the view that we bought was what we were going to get to live with, and that doesn't seem to be true. So I would really like for this commission to extend the deadline so that there's some more investigation done, and then work with the community, with the homeowners, and figure out a solution that will work for everybody. Thank you. I would also add, I'm, I'm Ford Roosevelt, and I've, we closed escrow in, in early September. What disappoints me the most is that is a complete misrepresentation by Pulte salespeople as to what's going on here and what would potentially go on after we closed escrow and moved in. The sales pitch we got was, sorry, there's nothing with a view. Oh, oh, we know that's what you want. And too bad. We're disappointed. And then a call one day saying, oh, we've got one. Come and look at this one on the second floor. And you have, you have a bit of a view. You have a peak of a view. It's great. We bought it. But the misrepresentation as to what would happen down the road was complete and utterly disappointing at this point. So I don't know. I think, yes, more time that Chris asked for would be appropriate at this point so we can hear more of the plans, which we've heard nothing of until tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. So the next speaker would be Jill Benson, but I believe that was our first speaker. Yeah. Uh, we do have one after that, which is Chuck Vivian, though. So that's Elevate Chuck. Hi, can you hear me okay now? Yes. Oh, great. This is Chuck Vivian. I'm in building 2810. 
Uh, my wife and I have been residents here since March, and um, everyone, all my neighbors really, um, I, I don't have a lot to add other than to just kind of be in the amen corner. Um, you know, parking is a nightmare, uh, without a doubt. Um, and these are surprises uh, from uh, Pulte. It, it, it seems as if, well, you know, they, they are, you know, they're a for-profit company. I, I don't fault them for that, but parking, parking sucks. And, uh, and there's no consideration, no communication uh, with the neighborhood in order to bring us up to speed as to what the plans are. Um, my wife and I heard about this on the Facebook page, and, and thank goodness that, that we have that going for us. But uh, we really are not clued in. They've got time to walk them down the halls and tell us to take a mat out, for, out from in front of our door, but they don't have time to include us in these important plans. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's not fair. Uh, I'm very disappointed. And quite frankly, uh, I, I really am looking for the city to, to stick up for us. That's why we're on this call. And I'd like to have that additional time that um, our, our neighbor asked for so we can get some input and some insight as to what this is all about, who's going to manage it, what, what time the darn place is going to close, open, you name it. I, I, just, I just need some more contact. We paid a lot of money to live in this place. And uh, and we're enjoying it. We we love Alameda, but we we need you guys to to stick up for us on this particular matter, uh, and vote for the extension that we requested. Uh, and that's what we've got to input tonight. Uh, other than that, my my neighbors said it best. Uh, so that's all I have. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um. I think we have one more speaker, but Joe Benson, you have already um, spoken earlier. So um, unless it's somebody else. Um, There's also Allison Placence. Let's elevate Allison, please. Hi there. Um, I am also a resident here um, in Building 7 right on 5th Street with a direct view um, of the sales office and the park um, and wanted to reiterate just a number of points already made. One being parking is already very, very tough. Um, I think the transparency of the messaging is a number of people have noted too. I wouldn't have found out um, had Marnie not run into me in the building um, and was very appreciative um of their efforts to make the community um more aware of this i think um like a number of other people have already mentioned as well obviously we did pay a pay a premium for these specific lots with um these awesome views it was truly you know what made me want to move forward i would not have purchased a lot without a view in this area um that was really like the main selling point to me and part of why um, I felt so strongly about living here, um, but I think the other part that hasn't really been touched on was also the future value um, of these properties, you know, being degraded from the views being decreased. So that was the only other point that I wanted to hit on. Um, I'm by no means, you know, in opposition to the idea. I think there's just more exploration and more community involvement that I would like to see, um, but really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Uh, again, 
I'm seeing the name here in the speaker's list under the name Jill Benson. You have already spoken, so um, please lower your hand. Um, so do we have, if there's no other public speakers, I'm gonna close out public comment section and open up for board comments. Board Member Teague. I'd like to thank everybody for speaking on this. Um, I, I'm disappointed that there wasn't exploration of alternatives to the residential plan. Um, I, board member Hom and I were both, we wanted commercial community space and not residential at the time in, you know, in December. Um, and that's in the minutes, which I have in front of me. And I am not in favor of this plan. Um, I think that we really need to have uh, uh, do done on commercial retail, larger community space. Um, what is there is too small. Um, I'm also not in favor of changing the timing in terms of the 330 slash 350th unit. Uh, 350 is only seven units left to be built. Uh, they're most likely sold by that time. Um, so I am not in favor of changing this at this time. Thank you. Thank you, board member um, Ariza. Thank you, everyone, for speaking. I, I have a, a bit of trouble understanding the master plan because I was not um, part of the board when it was approved. So I, I have a couple of questions. One is, um, is there bicycle parking? Where is it? And, and what are the heights of the buildings around the lot that we're looking at? Can someone explain that to me? I, I have to, I have like zoomed into the key plan, which seems to show some different types of buildings, but uh, I, it doesn't really explain uh, uh, what are the heights. And then uh, is there any other type of parking besides um, cars, automobiles? Yes, there's um, bicycle parking within the park itself um spread out throughout um throughout the uh, plaza area um and then for your question about the um the heights of the buildings so this is the the project site highlighted in pink um the buildings to the north and um the west are all three-story buildings um these single family homes here are the same um design as the, the moderate um, income homes that are um, proposed for this site in their three stories. Um, these are the, um, the flat buildings and they're um, five-story buildings. They hold uh, 12 units each and those are on both sides of, of Fifth Street. Um, so most of the buildings are, are three-story tall except for the, um, the five-story buildings that are along the street. And are the five-story buildings the main facade basically to that main street, basically? I mean, there, there's no names in the street. So is that Fifth Street? I'm not sure. That's right, yes. Um, Fifth Street, the um, 
the five-story buildings are fronting on this street, so their main facade faces towards, towards this street. Okay, got it, thank you. Floor member Cisneros. Uh, yeah, thank you uh, so much for the presentation and to the public for their um, comments and questions. I had a couple of follow-up um, questions um, from the items brought up uh, to Henry and staff. Um, I'm curious like what your response is to the parking concerns um, similar uh, to um, board member Arisa. I, I was wondering if, you know, for example, for the senior classes, are there going to be like shuttles? Um, are there, yeah, uh, going to be some kind of shuttle or public transit kind of um, alternative transportation routes from the schools, from the senior uh, facilities to um, this uh, community space? Um, and then two questions for Bill. Um, if you could respond to the item brought up about concealing the mechanical um, uh, items on the roof, um, the feasibility of that, um, or I don't know if that, if that question is for Bill and, and staff, but um, if I could have a response to that. And also just the broader concerns about transparency communication. Um, if you respond to that too, please, Bill. Thank you. Henry, you go first. Sure. Um, so in regards to that question of, of parking, um, the entire uh, development um, parking plan was uh, considering that there was a 5,000 square foot commercial uh, structure here. So, um, and then there is actually um, 18, I believe, parking spaces set aside here for um, park visitors, as well as um, additional parking uh, along Fifth Street. Uh, in addition, this is this is a um, uh, along the the Bay Trail um, bike uh, trail, and so majority of the visitors to the park will be. Um, coming by bicycle, which is why we provided um, an abundance of uh, bike parking as well. Um, so uh, we weren't too concerned about the differences between the 5,000 square feet commercial space and, and the uh, community center that was being proposed. Um, I'll pick up where you left off. I guess one, just one point on the the rec building is a single story structure. I don't know that the um, roof height has been um, um, stated, but um, it is a single story. And then of course the two breeze units are three stories as Henry stated, similar to the height of the existing buildings to the west and to the north, um, as opposed to the 5,000 square foot that would could have potentially had live work over the top of it. Not quite sure what the height would have looked like, but wasn't looked at very closely. Um, but we've all, I mean, up until even as it stands today, there's a 5,000 square foot retail requirement on the property that um, we provide in our documents and disclosures. 
managers and we try to keep our sales team as updated as, as possible. Um, I, I have been um, the driver for um, this revision from the beginning. Um, I serve on the board um, currently. Developer um, holds uh, um, three of the five seats on the board. Um, and as part of every HOA meeting, we, um, we have developer updates. We have public forum and developer updates. Um, and so any questions that come up, from residents, we provide whatever information we have. We did not think to distribute any plans, but um, we, we do meet quarterly. Um, and I am physically uh, attending all those quarterly meetings. We've been um, battling through um, uh, um, uh, trespassing, uh, theft and burglaries. Pulte has contributed for security guard for the first uh, six months to help the community um, feel and become safer. So um, we, you know, we we try to do our best um, as we work through these developments. These new developments getting started are um, they they are they are challenging initially, especially while we are there building, we have contractors, you know, and all the activities with construction, but also make it more challenging. The 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 phase two and phase three to the to the to the west. Um, is is nearing completion um, for the for, for the for the main access, which will provide some more parking. But parking has been has been um, limited. It's a small parking count um, uh, ultimately as well. And I want to just want to correct um, Henry. It's thirty six parking stalls, um, eighteen um, eighteen dedicated by Catellus, and then eighteen dedicated by Pulte, all in the same general area on the eastern boundary. So any question that I that I missed? Does that address oh. your question? There's um, one more. The rooftop. Yeah, yeah, the kid ceiling yeah. of the. Uh -huh. Yeah, so um, I'll have to get with our architect, but you know, there's um, if Henry wanted to slide over to the floor plan, there's a, a utility um, closet that's on the uh, northern side elevation of the. Oh, right there is good. If you go, oh, sorry, if you go back. The um, if you look to the north where the main entry is, just to the right, that little square right there, that is a utility room that will house um, all the utilities. So we, I, I, I don't know offhand if there are any, um, if there is any sort of utility structures on the roof. I don't believe that there, there, there is, but I can um, look into that. And if there is something that's going to be uh, a mechanical eyesore, then we can definitely look to see what options we would have to do some sort of a screening. Um, I'm not quite sure what would be on the roof. Thank you. Thank you. Um, board member Hum. Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, um, I'm very familiar with Pulte. You know, you do some good products and the, the project that you're building out is a nice project. Um, quite honestly, I gotta be honest with you, I'm really disappointed with the site plan. Um, you know, I know when we talked about it a while back and similar to what uh, Board Member Teague said, you know, we realized trying to get retail on this 5,000 square foot site. In fact, I remember when this was first proposed, I kind of asked, is retail really feasible at this location? But, you know, the developer was committed to try at least. So we always knew it was challenging. So when we came back and said, we're flexible about trying to not doesn't have to be five thousand square foot retail, 
but you know, maybe a combination of retail or a significant community space. So what I see is this 1500 square foot retail building and then two new units just kind of crammed on the site. Um, I, it's not what I expected, quite honestly. And then parking is an issue that needs to be looked at. It sounds like that if this is going to be an active community building, which I hope it will be with you know classes and things, this is going to be a problem. And then the second point, I, it, it based on the residents' input, it does not sound like there was transparency to the residents about this proposal. You know, given especially when I when you hear that HOA is made up of three uh, board members uh, from the developer, so that leads me to believe that maybe there should be that, that there wasn't that level of transparency that there should have been. And I would really urge Alti to do a outreach to the residents that live in the surrounding, do do some photo sims that kind of show them exactly what the structure will look like from their vantage point. You know, you know, certainly tell them what the height of the building is. I mean, even today's meeting, you couldn't answer what the height of the building was. Uh, and it's certainly confirm if there's roof mounted equipment that needs screening. Um, I think also the timing for for um, construction of this building relative to you completing the um, rest of the project needs to be talked about with staff. Um, I just did a similar project in another city I worked for. Uh, the city required, you know, uh, the developer to contribute to uh, some maintenance of the building for a certain period of time. And I don't, I, I mean, that's not within the purview of the planning board, but that's really the city council discussion when they um, talk about deeding over the building. But to me, there are just so many issues that are outstanding that would not have, I don't have the comfort in certainly moving it forward tonight. Thank you, board member Halm. Board member Sahiba. Yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate all the community's comments uh, as well. I think that it, what, what it seems to me is um, a few things. One is it feels like a little bit that we're doing a design review on the actual what's being proposed. And I know it's more about a master plan change. And, and I am curious how the design um, evolved and there was there was a sounds like a public process with the parks department to to develop this design although somehow the public meaning the residents were not aware of this um, so I don't know what kind of process it was Henry specifically to to have input from the community plus um, the parks department but obviously it was somewhat opaque um, I would also say that I'm also feeling that the, the building as designed has, has, is not, um, in, in my mind, civic in nature. Uh, it doesn't have that stature of what one would want to take in as, as, as a city. Um, and and it's, it, I think like board member Holmes said, it's a bit crammed in there. So I think that when you look at the site plan and when you look at the access of Fifth Avenue as it comes here, this is a really important site. It is a gateway site into the park. And it was first meant to be active through retail. And now the activity that was planned for this site plan 
is now being even reduced further to a building that's now you know being being deeded over to the city with with then two homes um, adjacent to it. I really believe that this site needs to continue to be um, with without homes, but some sort of benefit to the community that's there immediately and maybe to the larger community if the city of Alameda Parks Department wants to take on you know the additional burden of managing it, maintaining it, and, and taking that land in. Um, and that fits within the budget of the city, but that's fine as well. But I, I, I do think that the way that it's currently planned doesn't give it much breathing room. And I think a lot of the comments that the board made, including the residents of how this infrastructure works, once you add this community serving building, I, I understand that it's smaller than what the retail was. But I think that even if it's a smaller building, it could take up that entire site and one could really think about how to create a little bit of spatial relief and how you meet the access at the end of Fifth Avenue, not with restrooms at the end, which is currently the plan where, where that corner is. So I would, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not in support of what is happening because I think that uh, all sort of edge conditions haven't been considered to um, to a level that seems to number one benefit what what is being contributed but number two taking an input of, of what's happening with the with the current development with the residents that have spoken this evening thank you thank you um alan i see that you have your hand up yes please uh thank you uh president Ruiz. and again apologize my camera isn't working. Um, I, I um, thank you for the board's comments. I, I do get a sense that um, from the board's comments that you are curious as to whether the city is accepting the 1500 square foot rec center as a smaller space as a compromise. It sounded like you wanted more space, but I do want to emphasize that over the last six months, staff has worked closely with the Recreation and Parks Department. The 1500 square feet was sort of uh, put out there as an ideal size for a small community space that the Recreation and Parks Department could manage. And also just also, uh, understand that um, with any community building that's handed over to the city, it does add a maintenance and cost burden to the city. And I think um, one of you had uh, acknowledged that. So um, even though the recommendation, I mean, you're making a recommendation to the city council on this plan amendment. And um, the city council will also have to consider the cost of taking on this uh, uh, this building. Um, but it was a conscious decision from the Recreation and Parks Department to um, to kind of arrive at this space. I mean, there was some discussion at a certain point about maybe including a small satellite library um, that would serve this part of the West End. Um, but eventually, I think due to maybe cost concerns that was ruled out, but the design, the layout with the restrooms, even the fixtures in the restroom, that was all pretty much prescribed by the Recreation and Parks Director. We've, we've even scrutinized, this is several iterations of the floor plan as well that's gone through um, internal city review. So if that was a question of whether the city's compromising the space, I would say no, this is really an ideal space and that the Recreation and Parks um, department was is happy with. And then with the remaining space, it was able to fit two affordable units, even at the moderate level. And so staff thought this was actually a good compromise. Um, I would also um, ask the board to, if you don't like this plan, 
what is it would you like staff to work with Pulte with? Is it a, commu- a commercial building? I mean, I do want to let everyone know that a commercial building will be taller than what you see today because this community building has a ceiling height of 12 feet. On a commercial building to have viable retail, you need interior ceiling heights of 15. That, that's going to naturally increase the height of the building. So if views are a concern um, for this board and the community, then I think you would also need to factor that. One last point. Um, actually, two more points I do want to um, clarify. One is um, there's a lot of talks about views, um, but do understand that um, there's nowhere in the master plan, and this master plan has existed for a long time now, that has designated um, you know, any, any uh, view uh, corridors or uh, scenic easements for, for these units. Um, it was always anticipated that the site would be developed with a commercial building of 500 square feet, potentially multi-stories. Um, and then I'm also a little concerned about the discussion about off-street parking. I mean, if you, uh, for those of you who've been on the board, you may remember the Alameda Marina, uh, I'm sorry, the Alameda Landing Master Plan was one of the first master plans that was focused on a more pedestrian-oriented design um, with the end of Fifth Street being a plaza that would potentially uh, lead to a water shuttle dock cross estuary. This is also the site where we've been talking for a very long time about having a ped and bike bridge. Um, and we've purposely uh, limited the amount of off-street parking. I mean, that, these are goals and policies that we discussed in our brand new general plan, as well as last year when, when you recommend the council adopt a parking maximum ordinance. So um, obviously, from given that staff did not put much emphasis on ensuring that there's abundance of on street parking to serve the site. So I just wanted to uh, make those clarifications. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification, board member T. So let, let's be clear. The developer is currently committed to developing 5,000 square feet of commercial retail community use. That is what the master plan says today. That is an expense that isn't on the city. That is an expense that is on the developer. And the ongoing running of that is for the developer to solve. So giving us 1,500 feet, which is the most that the recs department would want to take on, is quite a reduction from there. When we talked about this, we were in the dark winter of 2021, and the pandemic was very strong. The world is different now. And, you know, I would have expected some more research. Now, whether the entire parcel becomes a 1500 foot open space combined community center that the that the parks department would accept, that's a possibility. But it needs to be something that is ideally the commercial retail community use for that 5000 square foot parcel. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's what we did in the master plan when we created it long ago. And the only thing that we did in December was remove the time frame, which was last December, they had to have something done and that wasn't going to happen. And so we changed that. So I, I am still not, I'm gonna vote moving it forward. Board member, thank you, board member T. Board member Hong. 
Yes, yeah. No, first of all, uh, thank you, Alan, for kind of explaining the background and discussions with the rec department. Um, you know, I respect the fact that the rec department is thinking 1,500 feet may be um, adequate, I don't know, to the degree that was the exact square footage, but, and I certainly wouldn't expect a 5,000 square foot community space. Um, you know, to, to me, this space is meant to be a community or public space, whether there's retail, community, or whatever, meant to be kind of like a space for the public. And it doesn't feel that way to me. So, um, you know, it seems like, you know, if it's not a slightly larger rec building that the rec department is willing to do, it seems like if you could, kind of similar to some comments that Port Member Sahiba said, you know, you know, give it a little better setting, you know, um, you know, and I'm not saying provide a sea of parking because I totally agree with you that you want to minimize parking. But when I think about community building, you know, you have, you know, depending on the classes, you know, you have seniors or handicapped folks or, you know, children. You know, not they're not going to walk necessarily all walk down the long that long uh, pathway to get to this community building. It's not like it's right up to the street. So some amount of parking not overdone uh, is desirable. Um, and it was meant to be this this entryway, an entry point to the to, to estuary park with, and punctuate it with this 5,000 square foot space that may, retails may not be feasible, but it was meant to be a public type of amenity. So what I'm seeing to me doesn't meet that goal. And if it's a smaller rec building and with a little bit more spacious uh, landscaping around it, and maybe with some parking, well, on that space, that might be a more suitable solution. Thank you, board member Hom. Um, first of all, I want to acknowledge um, the community members who spoke um, who spoke up today, and also want to um, thank um, Bill for your patience and working with the, the Parks and Recs um, Department and with the staff for, to come up with this plan. Back in December, I was one of the proponents for additional housing. At the same time, I'm um, disappointed at the plan that's put forth here tonight. Um, I agree with uh, my fellow board members' comments about um, the the master from a master plan standpoint. It seems to miss the mark. Um, there's a reason why in the initial. Um, development agreement that um, we allowed for, if you if you were to provide um, commercial space, um, we allow for unlimited height, that your building can go higher than five stories because we're envisioning an anchor at the end of this um, fifth street to provide, you know, sides and anchor for that's uh, situated at the um, side of the public park. And by proposed um, converting that into a one-story building uh, with a little bit of kind of identity crisis in terms of where the front of the building is, is not what I was expecting. Or and um, then put the two largest um, single fam single family detached plan. In, in that footprint 
seem too cramped. So it seemed too low and yet too cramped at the same time. So I feel like um, this plan missed the mark. Um, therefore, I am having a hard time supporting it moving forward. I'm also disappointed at the um, public engagement process. Um, you have residents, we want residents to support our community and having ongoing dialogue is key so to success. And we feel, I feel like that is missing. I appreciate your ongoing engagement with the planning board, I mean, the planning department and the public parks, but don't forget the residents that's living there right now, even though they there's no view easement um, by right, but from a public engagement process, I would have expected to see more from a reputable developer such as Pulte. So uh, with that said, I would like to suggest tabling this um, conversation to allow um, Pulte to engage the community and um, see feedback from them and maybe look at other typologies of um, integrating either non-residential space, I'm gonna leave it whether it's a community space or um, retail. Um, I still have a hard time seeing retail thriving in this location. That's why I'm um, open to um, residential additional units, um, but I was not expecting only two. Or member Teague. Yeah, uh, tabling is, continuing the item. And yes. I would make the motion that we deny the change to the master agreement. Okay. Um, we have a motion at the table. Do I have a second? I'll second. I'll, oh, yeah. Sorry, go go ahead. No, no that's, that's fine. fine. That's fine. Yeah, I'll second. It's without prejudice, as they say, meaning come back, but not this. So I have a, yes. Um, uh, yes, uh, President Ruiz, um, I believe our municipal code in the zoning section has a stay on applications returning once it's been denied. So mm -hmm. um, if the intent is direct to direct Pulte and staff to work on another plan, um, then I may suggest that you can uh, not take action tonight, direct staff and Pulte to work on whatever plan it is uh, rather than denying. But I, I need, I, I haven't had a chance to pull up the municipal code to see whether it applies to the uh, a legislative act, such as a recommendation of master plan amendment. But I, I am, I'm certain um, in our zoning ordinance, we do have a provision that says once an application has been denied, it cannot be resubmitted within a certain period of time might be um, up to three years. So, but, and then that, what that would mean is, um, you know, we would have to have a uh, commercial building on the site. But, but uh, Alan, sorry. Yes. Is that, is that really, if it's a similar project, you can't resubmit a similar project? Correct, correct. So. Oh, so, okay. So a, a variation of it, you might come back. Okay, that, that's good thinking. <laughs> Um, city attorney. Thank you, President. 
Reese, I also had a comment. Um, because the packet includes a resolution to approve or recommend recommend approval of, of certain actions and to approve um, design review and other actions. To deny, we would need to take a straw vote because we don't have a resolution in front of you that states precisely why we're denying. And if we move in this direction, it'd be helpful for staff if uh, the planning board members could specify which specific findings can't be made um, as a basis for not being able to approve or recommend approval. Board member Teague. This is changing a master agreement. So I don't know why we would have to say, I mean, why is the onus on us to explain why we don't want to change an existing agreement. There is no, there is nothing that says we must change our agreements whenever someone asks. We have a, a developer agreement already. And if you would prefer, we could have a motion to approve it, which potentially then we would vote against. If that would be cleaner for you, if you think that would be What I'm saying is, um, of course, you don't have to approve any application that comes in. An application has been submitted. Staff is recommending approval and has included in your packet a resolution that states that all of the findings can be made. So if the planning board members disagree, it would be helpful to let staff know which specific findings can't be made, um, take a straw vote, staff will return at the next meeting with a resolution that includes, you know, that, that reflects yeah. what the planning board is saying. So no. if instead we move to approve it and it's voted down, we don't have to do any of that. You could do that, you could take no action. Or it's an action. We voted on it and voted no. I mean, it did not pass. Yeah, right. You could take that, or you could take no action, or you could continue the item as Alan Ty suggested. So may I offer a suggestion? Um, Selena, to answer your question, I have a hard time finding that um, number two, the development is more effective use of the site than is, than is possible under the regulation for which the PD district is combined. So I have a hard time making that finding, which is number two on the screen right now. Okay, that's helpful. Is the planning board, does the planning board have, uh, I guess you've indicated that you're not, there's a motion or, um, an interest in not moving forward with the master plan amendment is the same. Is there also a similar interest in not moving forward with the other two approvals? And if so, we should also point out which findings cannot be met. So that's that's four members is narrows. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, I. Um, 
you said one of the options is to continue the item like it because it sounds like um some of us are amenable to having a revised version of the proposed plan so do is it option a um to continue the item or an, an option b to name the findings right now so right now um, um before you respond um right now we already have a motion on the table which is to deny the project mm -hmm. and um city attorney is asking for clarifying um findings of why we're denying the project but in reading this resolution there are two items that we were supposed to approve tonight, which is under the same resolution. One is to um, recommend um, city council approve the amendment to the master plan agreement. Second item that's associated with the resolution is the design review approval of these three buildings. And, um, but I don't even think we got to the, the design review portion of it because currently we're not recommending mm -hmm. moving the board, um, the project, not recommending approval to the city council board member T. Yeah, I, let's just simplify it. I'm gonna withdraw my motion, assuming that the second and instead move approval of which I will vote against it. And then it will be, we, we have voted against other things that have come without having to make specific findings or not findings. Um, so we would just, staff would go off. You have heard what we have said in terms of what we're looking for to come back and potentially have a workshop on it to get feedback if you want, but there is not support for the motion as written today. Are we open to continue? Are you, would you be open to continuing? I, no, continuing item? it has other implications in terms of public comment. And, and that is not, I, I am not open to continuing. That this plan with small changes is not something I would continue. So. Thank you. Now we have a motion, do we have a second? Yeah, I second that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was going to just reiterate what board member Teague said, which is that we've given a lot of feedback in this in this discussion that we've had today, along with the community. So I think the feedback's pretty clear. And uh, I see four images on the screen that have um, more civic type backgrounds, <laughs> uh, including yours, President Ruiz, um, from what I from um, what was presented today as far as uh, civic architecture goes. So uh, I would, yeah, I think we've, we've given it up. I second the motion for approval. Okay. Um, before we roll call for vote, um, Selena, do you have any other concerns for um, this latest um, motion that's at the table, on the table? No, I don't. Okay. Um, Alan? President Reese, may I just uh, make one request to uh, Mr. Sadler here? Um, I think in terms of the public outreach, um, so the city, we handle our public notification based on, uh, according to state law, which is based on the addresses 
in the county assessor's role, hearing that a lot of the public speakers are actually still in escrow, they're formerly not owners, we don't have that contact information. So I would ask Mr. Sadler to work with the city staff to provide um, the contact information of, of, the, of the folks who are either in escrow or, or brand new owners um, so that we, we can make that outreach next time. Thank you. And I would rec also recommend um, to Mr. Sadler that you please reach out to individual planning board members ahead of um, the meeting to review and to get their feedbacks if if you are able. Okay, so um, Brian, would you mind roll call vote, please? Sure. On the motion to approve the staff recommendation, uh, board member Ariza. Nay. No. Cisneros. No. Tom? No. Saheba? No. Teague? No. And President Ruiz? No. That motion fails. Zero six. Thank you for your patience. Now let's move on to agenda. Um, we don't have meeting minutes to approve. So move on to staff communications. Uh, so yes, President Rees, members of the board, uh, 9A is basically just a list of uh, recent act decisions. Uh, in terms of 9B, your next coming meeting, um, October 24th, uh, will be canceled. Um, and your the following meeting will be uh, November 14th. We do anticipate a relatively busy November for you. Um, the, the next meeting, um, we have teed up a uh, residential development project at the uh, Admiral's Cove site. Um, and that, I think that would be a development plan and density bonus application in the, in the multifamily uh, overlay district. Uh, we also have a workshop on the West Midway uh, development project, as well as a workshop on a um, building electrification ordinance. And then if there is time, um, there's also the Alameda Landing Development Agreement annual report. Uh, following that, uh, I believe this is going to be Thanksgiving week. We are also anticipating a meeting uh, of the planning board to review a, a, a yet another townhome proposal. This is the former Penzoil site on Grand Street and, and, um, and Clement. So that's uh, what we have teed up. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, do we have any written communications? Uh, none outside of the written communications for the agenda items tonight. Thank you. Um, any board communications? Um, or Mrs. Nero? Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's related to this part of the oral part, but um, I just wanted to uh, say happy Indigenous Peoples Day um, and acknowledge that Alameda is on Ohlone land. So just wanted to share that. Thank you. Um, any, um, now moving on to final item on the agenda, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic not on the agenda under this item, um, subject to three minute time limit. Do we have any speakers? Uh, currently no one is raising their hands for the 
Thank you. With that said, meeting is adjourned. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good night. Good night.